The GameCube is Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube is Cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tiers. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 level. I Rebel, Dean Donian, Jed Winters, Joey Sirico, Resident Evil Collector on Instagram, Link, Marty Thompson, Double Ugly, Bendito, Benito, AJ Olson 11, Cube Dude, Bogus Lotus, Doomerzan782, and Jude Hanlon. The GameCube, GameCube. was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. So anyways, Mike, that is my backup plan career as an OnlyFans baking channel. I think you can do pretty well, Neil. Uh, it's uh, I want to see that ASMR. But Oh, we are live. Oh, well, Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. It's an exciting day today as a Nintendo fan. I want, we have a lot of uh, news to talk about. But before we do, I have a story to tell you. And it's not so much a question. It's more just something that I observed here in Toronto. And it's something that, mm. I, I mean, I'm not surprised by. I'm not sure if it's something that you've ever done or, or witnessed. But I was driving past a Burger King. The other day, Burger King, you know, an established fast food franchise. I don't rate it particularly high on my fast food ranking. It's actually quite low. I don't know why anybody <laughs> would, would want to outwardly... Why is the bun wet? Why is the bun wet? I don't know why anybody <laughs> would pass by, you know, Wendy's and Harvey's and even McDonald's, like some really good fast food chains here in uh, here in the city to go to a Burger King. But anyway, the one that I was uh, driving by, completely under construction, like... This thing looks like it was trying to survive a zombie zombie apocalypse. Uh, like everything boarded up, the roof was basically gone. Uh, dump trucks and bulldozers all around it, with a billboard sign outside that said "drive-through still open." <laughs> <laughs> it said, "Don't worry, guys, the drive-through is still open. You can come get your wapa." Yeah, no problem. Any time of day, you can come and get your wapa with the wet bun. Uh, and sure as hell, there were people in that drive-through, and I was like. You've got to be very desperate to drive past, like, the Wendy's across the street and the Harvey's down the road and the five guys in the mall to want to go to a Burger King on a hot summer or on a hot weekday to go through, like, it's a war zone of construction just to get your Whopper and fries. <laughs> have you ever, like, have you ever done anything like this or have you ever seen anything like this? Like, going to a restaurant that's basically destroyed only to go through the drive through Oh, I see what you're saying. Uh, yeah, I remember there was a Tim Hortons. One of the Tim Hortons near where we lived mm. was basically destroyed. It became – it was getting renovate, uh, renovated, and it was just a trailer. I'm not sure if you remember some of these times oh, yeah, where yeah. Tim Hortons would get renovated, and they, then they just have a, a trailer out back <laughs> kind of handing coffee out, yeah, yeah. which felt so weird. But I do remember going there and getting, like, Timbits or something. Uh, <laughs> that's probably like the craziest. I respect the trailer concept of a restaurant to like boil <laughs> themselves down to the bare minimum. I've seen a Wendy's trailer before too, uh, on the, mm. on the Danforth. Uh, it was in a very small parking lot. It was just a little Wendy's trailer. I'm assuming they only did, I believe they just delivered like the burgers, like a restaurant nearby made it, delivered it. And then they kept any, everything under heat lamps, uh, for people to, to pick up. But I've seen a lot of the coffee, the Tim Hortons trailers. I respect that. But, uh, I, I, I hope I never have to eat Burger King again in my life. Their fries are bad. The burgers are bad. Everything else does it so much better. They had some good Pokemon toys back in the day, though. I will give them that. 
They really did. There there were a couple Burger King toys from my youth that I, I remember I cherish, and hopefully I still have them somewhere in my house, Neil. But uh, yeah. one thing I don't have in my house, but you do, is the DK Bongos. And we talked about the DK Bongos, of course, on Jungle Beat a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. and a couple months before that on the Donkey Konga episode, which was a lot of fun. Go back and check that out if you want to have some DK Bongo memories. But Cube Dude wrote into us, actually, Neil, and said or told us that someone made a new game. What? in 2022 that you can play with the DK bongos. Uh, so mm-hmm. as he says, looks like the bongos are still cool. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Cube dude. Thank you so much for writing in and showing us this game. It looks really neat. It's a bull beat. And it said like with the Donkey Kong bongos in mind, like that's, they developed the game for it. You can play the game with a keyboard if you want to, but this game looks exactly like kind of, I think what we were getting at when we were talking about Donkey Kong in that episode with like what to do with yeah. the bongos in a it's more of a 2.5D angle of a game, not quite 2D. Uh, it looks really good. Um, yeah. I, I'd be interested to play it, to try it out at some point with you, Mike. Maybe we can get it on uh, on PC and I can bring my bongos over and we can have a little bit of a, a let's play, a jam session. Oh, that would be a lot of fun, actually. I would be so down. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, no, that's really cool. I love when peripherals like that are getting uh, the attention that they deserve in 2022. So who knows? Maybe it'll spark some, uh, some interest in some more Donkey Kong bongo games. But uh, Mike, we got a Nintendo Direct today. No Donkey Kong announced in this uh, Direct, unfortunately, but uh, we did get a bunch of other games to go through. So let's do a little bit of a rundown of the Nintendo Direct today. But before we do, let's just do top level. What did you think of today's Direct? I really enjoyed it, really based on like a couple of key points. Uh, there was a lot of fluff, at least for me, yep. a lot of RPG, a lot of farm simming, lots of farm sims, like, man. Uh, yeah. uh, and uh, just a, a lot of stuff that I didn't personally care about. I know that people would care about a lot of this stuff and a lot of this information. Uh, also, a lot of it was very kind of things that we somewhat knew about that we're releasing in October or early November. So things that are just around the horizon or just on the horizon, I should say. Uh, but um, yeah, a couple of things to, I guess, just start. We had Fire Emblem, new Fire Emblem. For us, we're not huge Fire Emblem people. Nope. We just really know Fire Emblem mostly from Smash. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Marth was back, so that was cool. I was like, hey, I know who that is. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm I'm in the fan base of, I'm getting very tired of hearing about Fire Emblem in every <laughs> Direct. I don't think that we've had a Nintendo Direct in the last four or five years. I could be totally wrong about this, but it feels like that we haven't had a Nintendo Direct in the last four or five years that hasn't mentioned Fire Emblem and or Xenoblade in every single one. And I think the last yeah. few, they've mentioned both every single time. And it's getting a little annoying. Like, I understand that these are two franchises now that are a huge part of Nintendo's business model. And I have to learn to accept that, that the games like Star Fox and Donkey Kong are not the heavy hitters anymore that they once were. Um, but I am getting a little exhausted of seeing these two franchises bookending almost every single one. They end up being like the opening song of the, uh, of the Direct or the closing song of the Direct. And it's just... I would like to see something else start and close it out. And we did have something different close out today, but I'm jumping ahead a little far. Um, Bringing it to the next game that they talked about is one that I'm really looking forward to playing, and that's It Takes Two is finally coming to Switch, which is awesome. This game has been on PC and uh, Xbox and uh, PlayStation for a while now, Um, but I haven't had a chance to play it. I've been waiting for it to come to Switch because I feel like it's going to be right at home there. Going to probably play that one with uh, with my girlfriend. So November 4th, that one's coming real soon. So uh, I will be picking that one up, I believe. 
same here. Yeah, great game of the year as well. You know, yeah. surprise game of the year winner. So I will definitely pick that up. SpongeBob Cosmic Shake. We talked about this earlier for the SpongeBob episode, and of course, it is coming on the Switch. It looks good. The, the The original voice actors are back. Uh, it's coming next year, so yeah. uh, who knows when that will be, but yeah, it looks interesting. I was surprised by uh, the 2023 release date. I really thought they were going to hit 2022 just based on mm-hmm. we got a really big uh, trailer and um, some gameplay uh, over one E3. of the... Was or, it well, e- what E3 would have been. June, whatever that is now. <laughs> um, yeah, we got a lot of uh, of news and gameplay on that. So I figured, okay, great, like holiday, maybe. Like it'll be like the um, the holiday game of this year for kids. But no, 2023, I was surprised by that. But uh, voice actors are all sounding really good. The game is looking a lot like Battle for Bikini Bottom. So hopefully it's good. I'm sure it'll land somewhere in the high sevens, low eights at best. But uh, that's okay. I'll probably check it out when it uh, when it comes out. Yeah, me too, Neil. Uh, Oddballers, that looked like a really fun one. That was just a very quick announcement that got thrown in there. Kind of had the overcooked vibes of -hmm. uh, of the character design in uh, Couch Co-op. You're kind of just running around trying to avoid each other uh, and avoid objects. It's kind of hard to explain. Check it out. Oddballers looked like a fun pickup. Yeah, another one of those party games that I think is going to find its audience. And uh, it'll be on everybody's Switch that they uh, hook up and play in parties, but then we got our first farming sim of the of the day, Mike. Uh, <laughs> a story of seasons, a wonderful life. Uh, I, I I mean, yeah, it's another farming sim. I don't know. Um, well, no, it's it's the GameCube. It's the the GameCube. Oh, game. sorry. It's Harvest the uh, Harvest Moon, because they can't use the Harvest Moon name any, anymore, as we talked mm. about on the Harvest Moon episode with all that weird legal stuff going on. So I just love that they. It, they can't call it a remake, even though it is a remake, mm. and it's Story of Seasons instead. That's right. I completely missed that. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's the GameCube port, so that's kind of <laughs> cool. I mean, I, I, I still yeah. don't care, but uh, it's nice. <laughs> but GameCube news it's, is nice. It's GameCube news. It's a little scrap of GameCube news uh, in today's Direct. And then the announcement that uh, really hurt our friend of the show, Dan Kerr, who's been playing Octopath Traveler 1 for the last four or five <laughs> years and has not quite beat it yet, last we checked, but Octopath Traveler 2 has been announced, so he'll have to beat that game the first one pretty quick uh, in time for the February 24, 2023 release date of uh, Octopath Traveler 2 so he can beat that game before he's uh, 45. I thought Project Triangle was Octopath Traveler 2, so now I'm confused. I really don't know what the hell's going on with that <laughs> studio at all, to be honest with you, but uh, glad that they're coming out with those games. They look beautiful, but uh, they're turn-based RPGs, so I will probably never play them. I do love love the look of them and the music, too, but... Yeah, oh yeah. Um, Mario and Rabbits, the next one that kind of got, we we knew about this, of course. Uh, this had been, I think, talked about for a while now. So we just got more more of a view, more of a look at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks looks honestly closer to a standard Mario game yeah. now. Like it looks like it's moving more and more towards that. I was going to say maybe the same this thing. is what yeah. Mario games are going to become. Uh, who knows? But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting. Yeah, I was really interested in the the way that this game is being marketed now. It does feel kind of like the we don't have a 3D Mario game ready to go yet. Yeah. So this is just going <laughs> to fill that space for the time being. Um, yeah, like down to the music, to the sound effects, mm-hmm. to the character models, like everything is looking a lot more like a polished first party studio Mario game, which is really interesting. Which is fine. It's a, it's the, the, the Rabbids games are fun. They're oh, good yeah. games, but it's just not, you know, it's, it's not Odyssey. It's a spinoff. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, then we moved on to the part of the direct that really kind of rubbed me a little bit the wrong way. Uh, not with the content, but more how the content is being announced. And that was the N64 games coming to Switch. It very much felt like someone 
reading off of a PowerPoint. The way that they were just yeah. like Mario Party One, Mario Power, Mario Party Two, <laughs> Mario Party Three, and Pilot Wings, 1080 snowboarding. Can we not have like a little bit more pizzazz with these games? Like these are games. These that, are amazing games. These are they're iconic. Yes, they are iconic. They are parts of our childhood. Like people in their twenties and thirties now, and even forties. Like people who have memories of these games, and it, they're just spewing them out and rolling them out like basically like cattle like all right yeah you knew they were coming so here they are like there's no excitement or anything and that's a a little bit of a problem i have with these directs in general is the pacing and the way that they are presented is starting to feel more like a teacher presenting a lesson as opposed to an actual exciting event uh i feel like the hype around these events is so much more powerful than the actual events themselves um but anyway nice to see these n64 games coming to switch including the uh piece de resistance i suppose and that is goldeneye is uh coming to switch no nightfire though mike (laughs) that was a huge announcement i was actually really stunned by that of course goldeneye has been in licensing hell for the better part of 25 years so it was really cool to see that that brings a lot of implications with it as well because uh it has online play that will be included with it, which will be really interesting to see how the Switch will be able to hold hold up with that. Uh, there's also a 4K remaster and everything. I'm not sure if the Switch is getting the 4K styling, probably not. But uh, Xbox will have it, which they just announced right after the Direct. Uh, and that will be uh, four-player online uh, as well. So that'll be really interesting because that's basically signaling that Microsoft is going to play nice. And does that mean we'll get Perfect Dark mm. in the future? Uh, very well could and and if we eventually get a gamecube online uh support there's hey there's a chance we get nightfire online so uh <laughs> yeah I don't know, that's a, that's more of an ea <laughs> game as opposed to the rare microsoft nintendo game yes, but uh, it is nice to see i agree to see microsoft and nintendo playing nicely they have been for a while it's mainly been with ports and uh, remasters as opposed to new content i would like to see what they could do with some new things but speaking of new things we then move on to mario strikers news and i gotta say i forgot Mario Strikers came out. So uh, that's the point that I'm at with that game. But they announced some new stages, some new characters. Uh, Diddy and Pauline are here. I really thought Diddy Kong was already in the game. Was he not? I guess not. I Okay. I could have sworn I remember him being in the roster. But maybe I'm thinking of, uh, you know what? I think I'm thinking of uh, when we played Mario Baseball. But uh, mm, anyway. Probably, probably. I, I, great. <laughs> we also had some more first party news here with Mario Kart Wave 3 coming out. They showed off Mary Mountain from the Mario Kart Tour game mm-hmm. and Peach Gardens from the DS. And I guess there will be others because there has to be four for each one. Yeah, so we now have had uh, we now have had two uh, Mario Kart Waves, uh, one and two. And neither one of those contained uh, double dash courses, if I remember correctly. That's right, no GameCube yet. And they still have not announced a GameCube course. Maybe the other two courses in Wave 3 are in there, but I'm starting to get a little suspicious as to why there hasn't been any GameCube ports. And... I like like I'm, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, Mike, but I'm really hoping for a double dash remaster. Uh, I know that that's not going to be a thing, but I'm just starting to get a little weirded out as to why double dash is uh, is not being featured in any of these waves. But anyway, conspicuously absent. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. But moving on to the next game here, which was Switch Sports, which is um, a game that came out earlier this year to somewhat commercial success i don't know how this game is doing at all but uh they announced wii golf in the uh in the new package yep added the wii golf courses and golf in general in there how was not uh, that not there at launch i don't know <laughs> we can talk about this switch sports i think is a big failure in my opinion yeah. uh i i have played it and i just don't understand why they didn't just do kind of wii sports resort 
deluxe or something. But anyways, uh, the big, big news, Neil, is when Miyamoto came uh, onto the stage and talked about the Mario Bros. movie. No, just kidding. That didn't... No one cares. Nope. Uh, he, <laughs> he talked about Pikmin 4. He just came and dropped it and showed the, the little trailer, the little um, uh, the, the JPEG, of course, with, the, yep. uh, <laughs> with Pikmin 4 on it. Uh, some interesting stuff that he did mention, too, the fact that you can... Uh, play from the Pikmin's perspective. Uh, I also want that T-shirt too oh, yeah. that he was wearing. Yeah, I would love some of that Pikmin merch, man. Yeah, that was a, that was big news. The uh, Pikmin Four. It's been rumored for the last eight years or so that it's been uh, it's been coming out. And then we got Hey Pikmin and we got Pikmin Bloom, which I found a little strange that before they announced Pikmin Four was that they they talked about Pikmin Bloom and how to play it. Which what a tease! It was, but it was just weird. It's like this game came out a year ago and you're explaining how to play. No one's playing it yet. No, clearly no one is playing that game and they have to pitch it, I suppose. But yeah, it seems like Pikmin Four is coming out next year. We will see if they hit that date. I am doubtful that they will, just because the amount of time that they spent talking about Pikmin Four now makes me think that it's not close to being done. The little bit of gameplay we did see was that being able to play from the Pikmin's view, which is kind of cool. I, I look forward to seeing what that's all about, mm-hmm. but uh, we'll see if it comes out next year. As you guys know, I'm a huge Pikmin fan. I will be there uh, day one, obviously. Then we move on to a few other games here. We got Just Dance 2023. Mike, no Wii edition this year. Useless. Next. <laughs> Next, we have Bayonetta 3. Finally, we have a release date of o- October 28th. Truth be told, I thought this game came out last year. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, this game has uh, this game has gone, in my memory, from coming out last year to, oh my god, they just announced Bayonetta 3? <laughs> like, yeah. I never know where it is. It's it's. is. I'm glad that it is actually finally coming out, because it, it was rumored for a long time. But, um, and that's a good Halloween we'll, game, too, October 28th. It's really good. I know that, that game has a huge fan base, and that's going to sell a lot of copies. Bayonetta is... Huge, but uh, next we need to talk about some Capcom. But uh, before we do, I need to give Capcom a little bit of a round of applause here. Capcom is absolutely crushing it with content on all the consoles. Now, the Switch console, I understand that they're only doing cloud versions of Resident Evil Village, and then they're also Mm -hmm. putting on 1, 2, and 3. But no other developer or publisher are putting games out like this on Switch. Like, they are doing their absolute best. Obviously, Village cannot run on Switch natively, so this is what they have to do. But I do have to just give a hand to Capcom because I love them right now. They kind of are getting it. (laughs) Like, they understand what their fans want. And they have a really good mix going of nostalgia plus new content and new stuff. So, yeah, Capcom is killing it. They absolutely are. Uh, I I hope that more developers would just take a page out of their book and try to support the damn uh, Switch like the best you can. Activision, EA, like take notes. <laughs> take notes. Then we move on to some more GameCube news here with uh, Tales of Symphonia remastered. That's uh, that's pretty cool. We have not covered that game yet, so maybe we can play the Switch version when we uh, talk about it on this show. Yeah, it's going to be pretty exciting. I'm uh, I'm glad that that is getting a remaster. It's uh, so many people love that game, and I think it's going to be the 20th anniversary next year. So that's mm. pretty big. That's that's uh, cool. One of my favorite games that's getting a deluxe version that I'm really excited about uh, might be one of the first games we talk about when we uh, launch our next project would be uh, Kirby's Return to Dreamland Deluxe. Mm-hmm. Uh, an amazing game. I love, love playing this game. I will definitely pick it up because I actually don't own the game for Wii, but uh, we'll own it for Switch. That's right. You played this game in, in university. I remember you being obsessed mm-hmm. with this game with your roommates. One of your roommates owned it, and I saw it on the coffee table when I came over, and I was like, what the heck is this? And you were like, yeah, we skipped class to play that game, uh, which I think is absolutely <laughs> awesome. But yeah, when they announced it, I was like... 
a Kirby. It's a Kirby game, so I, I can't. I, I got to be a little bit tired of it because there's a Kirby game every five minutes on uh, on Nintendo consoles. But yep. hey, it's a port, which is kind of cool. And this is one that I would love to play one day. And I thought of you right away. I thought this must be one of Mike's highlights of the direct, and uh, sure as heck it is. So I may have to pick this game up too because you talk about it with such high regard. So uh, can't wait for uh, February of next year. That might be one of the first games of the year uh, we pick up, I suppose. But Mm-hmm. Moving on to the last game of the Direct. Finally, Mike, we have a title and a release date for the next Zelda game. What do you think about uh, about that new title for the game? It's fine. Uh, I mean, I titles or whatever. I think when I saw Breath of the Wild, I kind of was like, oh, interesting. And had the same basic idea for this one. Although Breath of the Wild kind of showcased a more that you knew, okay, this was going to be more open world, more about nature and everything. I'm not sure what this showcases, but maybe a darker plot. Who knows? We'll see what happens. I thought the most interesting thing about this release was the date, a May release. You don't see many games being released in May, especially big AAA ones. It's uh, often, of course, uh, November or December release dates or October in the fall or a very early kind of spring, March. You see a lot of stuff being released in March. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, I thought May was an interesting time to release probably Nintendo's biggest game of the last 10 years. Yeah, it'll be their biggest game of next year, that's for sure. May is is good. I mean, it's when I saw it's not bad. It's not I just bad. thought it was interesting. When it, when they kind of went to that black screen and they were going to bring up the date, I I thought it was just going to say spring of 2023. And mm-hmm. uh what's the date? May 12th, 2023. Like that's still spring. Uh it's right around like when universities are getting out and colleges are getting out. So it's a good time of year. You're catching a like the end of the school year. Kids are going to be getting yep. out about a month later, so parents will pick it up for their kids to play over the summer. We're adults, we work, so we're going to pick it up regardless <laughs> on day 1. So this game could come out on on March 15th. I wouldn't care what day it comes out. We're, no, we're going to buy no. it. People are going to book days off work to play this game when it comes out. And uh at first when they when I saw the the you know, you see that emblem or the um the hieroglyphic, I suppose. I thought it was going to go to Wind Waker. At first I was like are they going to completely skip Breath of the Wild 2 news right now and just go to a Wind Waker uh, report? Because that was nah. rumored when uh, when this Direct was announced. So no Wind Waker news here, but I am stoked to play Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom next May. So day one for us, obviously. So all in all, a uh, pretty good Direct, I would say. I think the pacing is just a little bit off with these things. There's a lot of games, a lot of filler, stuff that I feel like could just be a tweet. Um, but they, they still put it in these videos nonetheless. But uh, I'm still excited to play some of these Switch games in, over the next few years. The Switch lives on, Mike. We're uh, we're still a ways out from whatever uh, Nintendo's next console is. It certainly lives on, and yeah, we, we're going to have some pretty pretty big hitters coming in the, the next couple, couple months, which is pretty exciting. But yeah, I guess the next time we have a Direct, there is a high chance that they start talking about Switch 2. Nevertheless, we're not here to talk about Zelda uh, or uh, the, the Switch anymore. I think it's time that we talk about some GameCube games. Mike, what do you think? One specifically, Neil. Let's do it. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 112 of the GameCube was Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. We're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. So far, we have covered 493 games. You can visit thegamecubewascool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. And Solid Snake. Ooh, Solid Snake. Nice. Last week, we talked about Beyond Good and Evil with friend of the show Toonie Twirls on Instagram. We also talked about cancelled cereal and British soccer music. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. 
This week, we are talking about another classic IP that has only appeared a handful of times on Nintendo hardware, a franchise that goes back to 1987 on the NES. Uh, if you saw the thumbnail for the episode, you probably already know that we're here to cover Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes on the GameCube. Uh, Twin Snakes features graphical improvements over the original Metal Gear Solid game uh, with new cutscenes and uh, gameplay functions originally introduced in the sequel, Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty. Um, but uh, before we talk about that game, Mike, I think we should talk about our memories and about the Metal Gear Solid franchise in general. So where does where does your history start with this game? Yeah, good question, Neil. So Metal Gear in general was always a game that other people played that I watched play for a long time. My dad had a friend who was really into video games, uh, and I think I've talked about him once or twice on this podcast. He lived in BC, and I remember going there a couple times as a kid, and he was a big PC gamer. He played, uh, like, the StarCraft and Age of Empires, all those kind of games, uh, all those RTSs. But I remember he played or had Metal Gear, uh, and I think it would have been the PS1. Yep. Metal Gear from 98, and I remember him playing that, and I was really interested in what was going on on screen. I thought it was really cool, and one of the reasons why I've loved stealth games to this day, like stealth is arguably my favorite genre of video game. I think it's really, really interesting, and I I, I think it's something that I can't do in real life, <laughs> <laughs> so I like trying to emulate it in a video but game. you could. Of <laughs> I could. Yeah. <laughs> of course, Deus Ex is uh, is in my top three uh, games of all time, Human Revolution, which definitely takes its cues from the Metal Gear franchise. And I got into Metal Gear quite a few decades probably after that encounter with my, my dad's friend. I played Metal Gear Solid 2, uh, which is Sons of Liberty. Right if I remember correctly, and I played that on the Xbox. I had a friend in university who had it and was like, you should play Metal Gear if you like Deus Ex. <laughs> so I played Metal Gear, and it was amazing. It was on a fantastic game on every level. It's so ridiculous plot-wise, yeah. but I, I still loved it all the same. It, it felt, and it's I couldn't believe, and I still can't believe to this day, that it's like a 2000, 2001 game, I think it is. Uh, 2002. It's a it's a early game, but it doesn't feel like it at all. It controls so well. Mm. The environment is amazing. The 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 setting is like really takes like really grabs you, I guess. And the characters are are so well created. The the codec is my favorite part about Metal Gear mm. for sure, and just learning about everyone's kind of backstories. And then I did play a little bit of uh, Metal Gear Solid Five. A friend of the show Dan lent it to me because he had mm -hmm. it. And that's kind of it <laughs> for my Metal Gear experience. Yeah. Uh, I, I wish I could say that I know more about it and played more, but uh, I didn't even know until we started this podcast that Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes was A, a remake, and B, uh, an exclusive to the GameCube. Interesting. Yeah, that that's really cool. I love that, that history. And Metal Gear Solid is one of those franchises for me that's very much a PlayStation franchise. I realize that yes. it does, uh, you know, pop its head up on other consoles like Xbox and and strangely sometimes on Nintendo hardware, but it, it was not <laughs> on N64. It was on GameCube uh, to some extent, and then it wasn't really on Wii, but the Wii is where I first kind of learned about Metal Gear Solid, and that's because of uh, Smash Bros. Uh, mm, with Solid mm -hmm. Snake being in Brawl. That was really my first introduction to the series in uh what is that 2007 2008 when uh when brawl came out so mm -hmm. uh and that's when you really start to get to know you know the character and all of the memes around it like his you know cardboard <laughs> box and like you said the codec and how they communicate in the game with their kind of uh video voice chat walkie talkie things which is really cool and 
Um, yeah, like for me, that that was basically it for the longest time with me in the Metal Gear se- series uh, until I started uh, getting into video game collecting and video game podcasts in 2013. Almost every single podcast host that I listened to at that time praised Metal Gear Solid 1, 2, and, and 3 even on PlayStation 1 and 2, so the games from 1998 to about 2004. Uh, and one of the hosts that I listened to absolutely adored uh, Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker, which is the uh, exclusive game on PSP. And mm-hmm. uh, I was thinking, you know, like, okay, I don't have a PS1. I'm probably never going to own one, uh, but I do have PSP, so I'm going to go check out this game. So I bought Peace Walker. It was relatively affordable at the time, maybe 20 bucks. Uh, played it for maybe an hour and just couldn't figure out the controls. That could have just been because I was... <laughs> It was on PSP, but like th- sure. this game that this host considered to be his favorite game of all time, I felt so let down that I, I couldn't even get through the tutorial or I was just wasn't getting into it or whatever. So I eventually traded that game in. I didn't, I never went back to it until mm-hmm. uh, 2015, I think. Same as you, I went back and I played Metal Gear Solid Five. Uh, I played the intro to that game. The hospital scene is one of the best hour of a video game that I've ever played. Like the opening yeah. of that game is absolutely terrific like if that perfect if that's all you play like just a one-hour experience of that game metal gear solid 5 could become one of your favorite games of that year like it was for me it was one of the more memorable experiences like the hospitals being destroyed you're trying to escape i barely remember what was going on but that's it that's just like you that's that's all i've played (laughs) of of these games there's so many there's uh 23 games to be exact there's five mainline games plus 18 spinoffs remakes remasters and whatnot it's appeared on over 22 consoles from the Engage to the GameCube. Uh, it's, of course, created by Hideo Kojima, who's considered one of the greatest video game developers and story makers of all time. Like you said, Mike, the game or the plot of the Metal Gear Solid games are absolutely wacky, and that is strictly because of Hideo Kojima, who also mm-hmm. eventually went on to make uh, Death Stranding. Uh, he's he's a really interesting guy, very much into film. That's really where he got his start in video game development was he started off as a a uh, really big uh, enthusiast of films. He used to watch, I was reading up a lot about him this week to prepare for the show, and he used to watch a movie a day when he was a kid. Wow. His p- <laughs> nice shot. I want to see his letterbox. I, well, I want to see how much he's <laughs> logged. <laughs> oh, man, it's got to be crazy. But his parents like, enfo- like enforced it. Like They made him like stay awake mm. to finish watching a movie, and then when he, was in, when he was a teenager, they would encourage him to go to the movies to watch movies. So he saw probably every movie that came out uh, when he was a kid. So that's where he gets a lot of his... Uh, inspiration to produce his games and and you can tell like the games are very much formatted as a film like he's got the opening credits where he says his name 9085 times before the game starts uh, which is kind (laughs) of like a meme at this point but uh yeah very interesting dude i would uh i would love to see what he's working on next but uh anyway uh, as of september 2021 the series the metal gear series has sold 58 million copies around the world so it's uh it's no small series uh, to say the least no, definitely not. And and you did mention that there are the five mainline games. Just to quickly kind of go over the the small history here, 87, we get the first Metal Gear ever on the MSX2, the computer system from back in the day. 1990, we get Metal Gear 2, Solid Snake. And then after that, so it's just Metal Gear Solid. Yep. <laughs> uh, so we get 98, Metal Gear Solid on the PS1. Of course, that's the game that we'll be talking about today, but remastered or remade. Uh, 2001, we get Metal Gear Solid Sons of Liberty on the PS2 and the Xbox. Uh, we get in 2004, Metal Gear Solid 3, Snake Eater on PS2. And that game came out about six months, seven months after Twin Snakes came out on GameCube. 
2008, about four years later now, we get Metal Gear Solid 4 Guns of the Patriots on PS3. Uh, in 2010, we get Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker, the one that you were talking about there, Neil, on PSP. Mm-hmm. And in 2015, Metal Gear Solid 5 V on uh, Phantom Pain <laughs> on PS4, Xbox One, Windows, uh, the highest or second highest rated on Metacritic, it's a 95. Sons of Liberty holds a 96. But all these games, Neil, hold at least a 90, or for the most part, hold a 90. So it's probably one of the most consistent and greatest franchises ever, other than um, one of the worst games I've ever seen, <laughs> which is a Metal Gear Solid Survive. I'm not sure if you've seen footage of this game. I have not seen footage. I've only seen the uh, basically the price of the game decline rapidly from when it came out to now. That's kind of... It may be one of the biggest bastardizations of a series I've ever seen. Wow. Like, on par or worse than Mass Effect Andromeda. It's it just a terrible, terrible game. This is, of course, after the bad breakup with uh, Konami and Kojima when they got into their their big spat and uh, Konami fired him. Mm. And then he went on and did Death Stranding by himself. But, uh, yeah, this, uh, this game came out after Kojima and it's... Just awful. It's Metal Gear Solid Zombies Edition. Oh God, yeah, that in 2018. Yeah, that that's rough. I'm. Uh, it's so sad <laughs> to see franchises get to that, and it's it's weird to think that we're probably a few years away from uh, seeing a Metal Gear Solid Six, and who knows what Konami will do? Will Kojima be involved yeah. in that? There's a lot. There's a lot of uh, conspiracy theories around what will happen there. A lot of predictions. So that'll be really exciting. But for me, my my weirdest issue, or not issue, but I guess the biggest roadblock for uh, why I haven't gone back and played more of these games is just that there's not really an easy way to do it. And like there mm-hmm. was a really good uh, collection put out on PlayStation 3 uh, several years ago now, but uh, there's the Metal Gear Solid HD collection, which contains Metal Gear, Metal Gear 2, Metal Gear Solid 2, Metal Gear Solid 3, and Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker, which is cool, uh, PlayStation 3, yeah. one of my favorite consoles of all time. It's missing Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's, it huh. doesn't have Metal Gear Solid, the PlayStation 1 version. They said it was because it was too hard to make an HD remaster for, and it doesn't have the GameCube version either yeah. uh, because that would have that would be owned by Nintendo. And uh, in the Wii generation, they definitely weren't playing nicely with Sony. Uh, so mm-hmm. I would love to see a Metal Gear Solid collection come out on some current-gen hardware with all four or five games on it to play, but... Uh, Nevertheless, we are stuck in a world where all of these games are somewhat stranded on different hardware and, and whatnot. But uh, we're not here to talk yeah. about all of these games uh, as a whole, Mike. We're here to talk about one game in particular. So why don't we dive into Metal Gear Solid The Twin Snakes? Let's do it, Neil. All right. Metal Gear Solid The Twin Snakes was released on March 9th, 2004, developed by Silicon Knights and Konami. Mm-hmm. Silicon Knights, a Canadian company who also made Eternal Darkness. It's published by Konami. This is a GameCube exclusive to this day. Rates an 8.5 out of 10. Priced today at around $120. And this is, of course, as we've already talked about, a stealth game. And according to VG Sales, this game has only sold 72,000 copies, which I don't know if that's correct or not. Uh, sometimes VGSales.com can be off uh, on their sales. But uh, like you said, Mike, this game came out just before uh, Metal Gear Solid 3. So I can imagine that the sales of this game were heavily butchered uh, by the release of MGS3. Yes, they definitely were. It was also supposed to come out in November 2003 and got pushed back about five months. But uh, we will be having a couple guests on today, Neil, to join us to talk about Metal Gear. Before our first guest of the day comes on, I just want to give a small little background about why this game is on the GameCube and is an exclusive to the GameCube because 
when you think about it, let's let's transport ourselves back to 2003. <laughs> Solid Snake was probably one of the most recognizable PlayStation characters of all time, uh, alongside Crash and Spyro. I would say, like you said too, you associate Solid Snake with um, uh, with the PlayStation, mm-hmm. and. It was a complete shock when Konami announced that the Metal Gear Solid remake, which was highly anticipated, was going to be released exclusively on GameCube. Like, this is literally as if Final Fantasy VII got announced, and it's like, well, it's just going to be for the Switch. It was just a a massive shock to people. Uh, And they kind of forget, or people nowadays kind of forget what a big deal it was when stuff like this would happen. Like, when Sega characters like Sonic came to the GameCube. Uh, after the Dreamcast died. That was huge. That was insane to think about uh, for someone who grew up with the the console wars with Sega and Nintendo. Uh, Same with Resident Evil, you could say. Resident Evil gets the exclusive treatment uh, a year before, or two years before, I should say, Metal Gear Solid uh, on the GameCube with the the remake, the Resident Evil uh, Biohazard remake on the Cube (laughs) that went uh that did really well and performed commercially and critically so I, I this was definitely a signal to konami saying hey this is not a bad idea why don't we go gamecube this seems to be able to handle the the processing of it, it seems to be popular enough at this point it was um and konami announced this very surprisingly and they also announced that kojima would not really be heavily involved with the production of this and neither would they uh it would be primarily a silicon knights developed game and you can definitely see that uh, in the game itself. And Miyamoto actually served as a kind of consultant on the game as well with Kojima. And so they kind of just act as producers guiding the team. So in essence, this wasn't a remaster or anything. This was a completely new game, really, mm-hmm. that was overhauled using the same engine as Metal Gear Solid 2. Yeah, the Sons of Liberty being the main uh, the main influence for it. And it just makes me wonder what happened to Silicon Knights. Like, they were... They had an interesting mm-hmm. partnership with Nintendo in the GameCube generation specifically with Eternal Darkness, Sanity's Requiem, and then Metal Gear Solid the Twin Snakes being two of like two of the biggest hidden gem cult classics on the cube, like Eternal Darkness being one of the most prolific survival horror games of all time, and then Metal Gear Solid uh, the Twin Snakes being arguably the best way to play Metal Gear Solid 1 of all time, being both being stranded on the GameCube to, uh, to Silicon Knight's uh, developing Two Human in 2008 for the 360, which I think was a flop, and then X Men mm-hmm. Destiny on a bunch of heart, a bunch of consoles in 2011, and then going defunct after that. They were only around yeah. from 92 to 2011. Uh, they had moderate success in the GameCube generation. I don't know why Nintendo didn't, uh, I guess, not buy them, but just keep working with them on, on these types yeah. of games. It'd be really neat if the if they kept on being this kind of uh, blue point for. Um, for Nintendo, the same way that Bluepoint are uh, remastering and remaking games for Sony, for PlayStation, yeah. doing uh, Shadow of the Colossus and Dark Soul or and Demon Souls. Demon Souls, uh, yeah, yeah, like doing a great job doing that. I wish Silicon Knights could have been that studio, but unfortunately, uh, they are not. And we we still see stuff like this on Switch. Like I think more recently, uh, just talking about the direct, we have uh, Live Alive coming to Switch, which is a really old game from the uh, Super Nintendo coming to Switch. It's not coming to other hardware, as far as I know, at least not yet. I'm sure it will eventually, but it, it's it's a, it's not as big of an example as Metal Gear Solid, which is one of the biggest video games of all time uh, on the PlayStation 1. Um, mm-hmm. But it is something that they still try and do, uh, aside from their own, uh, I guess, games, which is what you're, you were saying. Like, Metal Gear Solid is not a Nintendo game. It's a Sony game. Uh, and yeah. Konami. So, but 
Anyway, I think that that's enough of us talking about Metal Gear Solid on our own, Mike. Let's bring on our first caller of the day. Who's joining us first? Our first guest of the show is friend of the show, Tristan. We last had him on for the Resident Evil 4 episode, which was a great time. We had so much fun talking to him there, and we're very happy to have him on once again for this Metal Gear episode. But before we get into it, Tristan, what is your favorite Metal Gear game? That's a really good question. I'm actually, I'm actually playing through them currently. Out of the three that I've played so far, I'm going to say Metal Gear Solid 1 or Twin Snakes, because that's the version mm-hmm. that I've played. I think it's one of my favorite games of all time. Definitely in the top five. <laughs> Very nice. Sweet. And is this a first time through playing them for you, or did you play these games back in the day? Well, back in the day for me is a, a bit of a short time. I'm only 21. <laughs> I guess that's um, true. <laughs> uh, no, so I actually picked it up last year um, after getting a bit of money, because obviously Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes is not cheap, um, and that was a first, first playthrough for me. Um, and I just picked it up, and I didn't stop. And that's very rare for games, so nice. it's special. <laughs> It's it's a really interesting game, and uh, you know, for me, I had never played this game beforehand. I had only ever played uh, Metal Gear Solid Two and Metal Gear Solid Five. So, uh, I like I was saying before the episode, I didn't even know this was an exclusive GameCube game. I had really no idea about this game. I didn't even realize it was a remake. So, playing it this week was really interesting, and I watched a lot of footage of the original PlayStation One. And in my opinion, like, this game is just so much better in every way. Like, it, it's easier to control. It looks amazing comparatively. Uh, I know there's a lot of naysayers out there, and we'll, we'll get to that later on, <laughs> yep. who really hate this game, who are massive Metal Gear fans, which, uh, you know, I think maybe because we're not old enough to have been fully immersed into Metal Gear in the, the, the mid-90s. But um, yeah, what were your what were your kind of first impressions of playing Metal Gear Solid uh, Twin Snakes? Oh, well, actually, my first impression versus my final one were mm. very different. Okay, but I guess coming off it, the most polarizing thing was the controls. Sure. That was like a big barrier for me because, like, I've played a lot of games from the nineties. Um, I'm pretty used to uh, how they play, but the the gameplay for this one is very intricate to the control system, and until you get your head wrapped around that. You can't really enjoy it. So it took me a little while, but after the opening act, which punishes you quite a bit, um, if you're not if you're not on the ball about that, uh, it it um, my first impression changed very quickly, and I was like, <laughs> "Damn, I love this game!" And yeah, it's one of my favorites. And I didn't even finish it. I already decided <laughs> that it's on the top five. <laughs> that's that's so cool, and it's interesting that you bring up like the controls and everything because this is obviously a PlayStation One game being converted to the GameCube. And like you guys said, the um, like the criticism around this game is like you don't touch Metal Gear Solid. Like it's kind of like if they ever go back and remake Star Wars, like you're going to have the biggest backlash from everybody uh, because that's a 40-year-old franchise. <laughs> but what's interesting about Metal Gear Solid specifically, from the time the first game came out on PS1 to this one, it's only four years. Like I can't think of many video games, if any, in today's... Uh, like, like today's games that that remake themselves after f- only four years later, one console generation, and this Last game. Of, oh like, no! But I mean, Last, like, of, us Last of Us was a remaster, and I guess yeah. the newest one. Yeah, true. The newest one, the one that just came out, Part One. I think that that's a ground up remake. That's like eight years or something. Yeah, yeah. Eight, eight years, so, eight nine still years. Quite a while. It's like twice as much as Metal Gear Solid: The Twin Snakes, <laughs> which is 
The Last of Us needs to stop getting remade, but that's a completely different topic. Um, but I just find it so interesting that only four years after a game comes out, it's remade and people are treating it like it's been around for 50 years. Like you don't touch this sacred game, but mm. but they did nonetheless. And But I think that they made improvements over the original game. Sh- Tristan, have you, have you played the PlayStation 1 version or is this the only version of uh, MGS1 you've played? Um, so I've seen gameplay of the first one, but yeah, I haven't actually played it myself. The biggest difference for me is probably how they present the cutscenes, um, cause they completely reworked all of that. They did. They actually brought in a new director, uh, to create these cutscenes and make them movie quality. Of course, Kojima being a big film guy, he wanted these to be brought to life much more than they were on the PS1 with obviously limited hardware constraints. And they are crazy. And they're also really long. Oh my goodness, Matrix. It's like, um, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's oh, so much bullet Matrix. time. Uh, <laughs> oh, I've just been playing through it for the past hour before I, I joined on. And I was just like, it, it's just so, yeah, it's so clear. Uh, that was the major inspiration there <laughs> i just imagine kojima being going to the room being like guys we need to make this matrix like and what actually apparently happened uh kitamura who was the uh director for the cutscenes, uh he sh- did them shot for shot uh from the first one from metal gear solid one and then kojima mm. saw them and asked them to make them more ridiculous uh and, <laughs> and that's where the bullet time sequences right. came in and yeah they are like you said yeah very 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 ridiculous there's there's a lot of other differences in the gameplay and the game itself of course it's derived from metal gear solid 2 uh in terms of the engine in terms of the looks and a lot of the things that you can do in it like hanging over the ledges hiding hiding in lockers there's a tranquilizer gun now that you can use uh the character models are of course completely revamped the jump between playstation 1 and gamecube is just so huge that you pretty much could have done this with any game like uh Final Fantasy VII, Spyro, Tony Hawk, like any of those classic PlayStation 1 games, any update to the next generation would look like night and day, no doubt. But uh, what's nice is that they kept... Resident Evil. Resident yeah, Evil, no, that's, exactly. That's a big example. Uh, yeah, yeah. Game, GameCube just taken all of those PlayStation 1 games, which is really cool. Like, it's 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 a great console for that. But they did keep all of the original voice actors, too, which is good. Uh, David Hayter reprised his role as... Reprised? It's, like, it's such a weird thing to say. It's only been four years. Do you think like the voice actors were like, they got the uh, phone call or whatever that they have to do all of this stuff over again? They're like, all right, I guess we'll do this. Um, but yeah, they got David Hayter, Jennifer Hale. Rob Paulson is in this game, which I didn't know back uh, back when I first heard about Metal Gear that uh, the voice of Pinky from Pinky and the Brain and Carl is in Metal Gear Solid, which is kind of cool. <laughs> there so. you go. <laughs> do you know what he plays in Metal Gear? Uh, yeah, he's Gray Fox. Oh, he's Gray Fox. Oh, you know what? Yeah. Now that you say it, it makes sense. But right, <laughs> he's in freaking everything, so it makes sense he'd be in Metal Gear Solid too at that at some point. But yeah, a lot of improvements, but they did keep the voice acting, which is uh, it's perfect the first time around though. So there wasn't really much to change there. Yeah, I think the main thing was the fact that they recorded it in a studio, and they said once they sort of uh, de- they obviously didn't use as much of compressed compression on the audio um there were like sounds from outside like cars and traffic and they were like oh yeah we can't keep this <laughs> we need to redo it all it does sound really good and dialogue is a huge part of this game obviously the codec is you know mm. kind of how the story goes and how you understand what's going on because the story is pretty pretty complex and pretty wacky uh, and uh, uh, the codec is is so integral so I'm really glad that they did record all their audio and kind of redid it and all the characters have very individual voices too especially the bosses and the um, and the villains in this game and going to the the 
the villains for boss fights. The boss fights in this game are fantastic. I had so much mm, fun absolutely. playing them. My particular favorite one is definitely Psycho Mantis for sure. Um, we can get into a whole thing on that. But uh, for you, uh, Tristan, what would be your favorite uh, boss fight? Well, I'm actually going to second Psycho Mantis um, mm-hmm. because I I really like um, surrealism and out of everything in that game, which a lot of there's a lot of weird stuff that happens. Psycho Mantis is just this weird outlier because he's just so out of all the Foxhound, he's just incredibly insane and everything that he does just messes with your mind and for a boss fight it's such a fun presentation um obviously something that everyone knows about is the fact that if you have the game card that has certain games in it he'll actually react to it and i think for me that made it my favorite because i was just like if fourth wall breaking can sometimes be a little bit cringeworthy but in this sense Hideo Kojima just go off like just keep bringing <laughs> all that weird fourth wall breakiness that you do <laughs> it's pretty amazing like this is one of the coolest most unique boss fights I've ever experienced and I I knew about this going in but I didn't know the whole thing so spoiler alert we will we're gonna spoil it for you here uh Neil and I spoil everything on this show but uh I will actually give you the alert here because it is such an interesting and cool fight um so to dive into it first let's look at a little background on Psycho Mantis he's pretty messed up you know he uh I don't know if you know all his background Tristan or remember but you know his dad wanted to kill him he uh instead reads his dad's mind and kills him instead and burns the village that he's from uh, he's kind of like the Joker of this world. He's got the quote of, I just want an, uh, an excuse to kill as many people as I could. So uh, this guy does not mess around. Um, the fight, of course, uh, beforehand, Psychomantis will analyze your playstyle up to that point, whether you're playing a kind of killing playstyle or you're going full stealth, how many times you save the game. And uh, depending on what you do during the game, he'll react to you differently. So he has a lot of different lines of dialogue. Uh, and one thing I thought was funny is that he respects you a lot if you uh, for the amount of people that you kill. Uh, and then he will, of course, uh, like Tristan said, read your memory card. And uh, they did do this in the PS1 uh, game, but they kind of expanded on it, of course, for Twin Snakes. Uh, they In the PS1, there was Azure Dreams, uh, Suicoden, uh, Castlevania, Symphony of the Night, Vandal Hearts, all Konami games, of course. And Mantis will comment saying, I see you like Castlevania. (laughs) (laughs) You enjoy role-playing games. Uh, But in this version, he has lines for The Wind Waker, for Super Mario Sunshine, for Eternal Darkness, which I thought was cool, uh, and for Melee. And uh, for most of those games, he'll say, I see you enjoy playing Nintendo games. (laughs) 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 And and then, of course, he uh, tells you to put your controller down on the floor and uh, makes it vibrate by moving it with his mind. Uh, And he basically is trying to destroy your system. Uh, This was really messed up. I kind of freaked out for a second when the TV was going on and off and uh, the little video thing is on the top right. Actually, it says uh, Hideo instead. Yeah. (laughs) I thought it was a nice little little Easter egg there. Uh, And you can't beat him in a normal boss fight way uh which would definitely frustrate a lot of people i actually knew this trick beforehand unfortunately uh because it was 
told to me, I guess, many years ago, but uh, it's very simple. You switch your controller to port two because that's a whole different person, so you can't read your mind. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if I didn't, this I did very not clever. know though. If you can't for some reason switch your controller to port two, uh, Campbell will actually eventually tell you through the codec that if you keep dying, uh, you have to destroy the statues in the room uh, because that. Uh, they show um, Psycho Mantis's true face, and he freaks out seeing his actual face, and that, that way you can do damage to him. But you still can't use explosives, which I thought was interesting. But uh, yeah, that is the Psycho Mantis boss fight. Yeah, absolutely. It's probably one of the standouts for yeah best boss fight I've ever done in a video game. But that can pretty much go for most of the bosses in that game as well. Uh, except for Revolver Ocelot. <laughs> I don't know. It's a bit... <laughs> Yeah, they're all incredibly ingenious, the way that they put, like, the way that the PlayStation 1 version, like you said, Mike, like, it would read your memory card and everything, and I'm surprised that they were able to do that, was to, like, switch over from the Konami games that they were basically advertising uh, <laughs> on the PlayStation 1 version and switch it with Nintendo games. I'm, it's really neat, because, like, when they do remakes or remasters or ports of games, the boss fights are very rarely changed mm-hmm. uh, with those types of details, so it's cool that they could kind of add that effect to it uh, that's really cool but sorry Tristan I think you were going to say something there before I cut you off oh no 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 uh, I was just touching on uh, Revolver Ocelot I uh, it's it's out of all the bosses he's really easy to cheese because you can just go into the first person mode and just kind of shoot him and he stays in one corner <laughs> so <laughs> it's out of all of them he's kind of the most disappointing and I think that's some people's reservations for this remake is mainly I think that's what I, at least I've heard from a lot of people is Revolver Ocelot because you've got the first person mechanic that wasn't in the original game um, when you're being able to aim. And obviously that's transposed from Metal Gear Solid 2. Um, yeah, uh, obviously I was still learning the mechanics at the time, so I didn't really realize how easy it was. And just in playing it just before, I was like, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's <laughs> that's probably the little bit of a broken element there, but I'll, I'll give it... Um, I'll, I'll put that to the side because the rest of this experience is incredible. <laughs> yeah, when you first said Revolver Ocelot, I actually had to think back of like what boss fight that is. Now, yeah, I, I remember as soon as you said the cheesing, but because it, yeah. it's it's such a blip, though, right? Like you don't even think about it because the rest of the game is so good and plays so well. Um, like one of my personal favorite boss fights is uh, other than Psycho Mantis is the sniper battle with Sniper Wolf. Oh yes. So much fun! Like there needs to be way more sniping, like mini games and stuff like that in games today. Uh, I had a blast playing that. It reminded me Neil of when we played Fort Knox and uh, in Nightfire and are just uh, on sniping weapons. <laughs> yeah, or even just the docks in the Nightfire. Uh, I forget what it's called. What's what's the docks level called? Like that level alone. Like when you come up out of the um, like the sub. It's after the water yeah. level, I think. Like after you come up from the submarine, you come up and then you're just sniping guys off of the docks. It's awesome. And like you need to memorize where everybody is. You need to memorize enemy patterns, which is a big part of these types of games from the 2000s, where enemy AI is basically just like memorize the the circle that they walk in and wait for them to walk through your line of sight but yeah sniper rifle in uh in in uh first sniper rifles in like single player campaigns are so underutilized these days unless you're playing like that what's that franchise called that's like just for sniper 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 elite Elite. that's the one um 
Yeah, unless you're playing that, like you're basically looking at maybe a Call of Duty level, and that's about <laughs> it, uh, which is uh, which is too bad. I'm just looking at the gameplay now for Metal Gear Solid in terms of hours. Uh, it takes about 18 hours to fully complete uh, Metal Gear Solid, but the if you want to watch the cutscenes on YouTube, it's five hours. <laughs> yep. Dude, it's a movie. <laughs> it's two movies. That's wild. <laughs> and is that including all the side dialogue you can get from you know interacting with certain things on the radio? Like mm. <laughs> no, I think I think this is just cutscenes. Oh my goodness, because the radio would take an extra like three to four hours easily. Oh yeah, there's God. so much content on that codec. Like you could you can dive in, and that's one thing I really enjoy about this game in particular is the fact that you can dive in depending on what level you want to go. Like you can listen to everything you can possibly can, watch all the cutscenes to be just a full immersed fan, or you can just kind of listen to just a couple of codecs and be like, okay, whatever. Like I'm just I'm just gonna go in my box now and, and sneak around, which is a big <laughs> a big plus. But uh, for me, I'm a big stealth guy. I like playing the games with trying to have no one see me go full pacifist tristan how did you play this game what uh, what kind of play style what did psycho mantis say when he uh, when he saw you oh gosh um i tried and failed for most of the game sure <laughs> um I, I eventually did get a lot better but that's the thing is that it was the first time playing anything like this i've never played any stealth games before so my expectation mm. was I'll just kill some guys. I don't remember exactly <laughs> what Psycho Mantis said to me, but I did end up going, you know, the alternate route, kind of going behind them, choking them, the usual. But um, <laughs> once I discovered that you could get those um, those dog dog tags, it actually pushed me to you know, go that pacifist route, and it would, I would just grab those dog tags uh, and then you know put them to sleep uh. <laughs> what a great collectible what Tristan's talking about there is the fact that the way to get dog tags which are the collectible items in this game is you have to go behind uh, a guard and threaten them right you kind of have to threaten them for them to give you the dog tag uh, and that's yes, the only threaten. way to collect these <laughs> <laughs> and I love that, like, Neil and I were just lamenting in, uh, we talked about Beyond Good and Evil uh, last week, and we're saying how we, you know, obviously love the game, but one element we didn't love was the constant repetition of collectibles that just didn't feel like I was progressing at all in the game with it, where with these, I thought they were so cool having the little dog tags and seeing the p people's names, and I, I found out later that the names on a lot of these uh, uh, dog tags are actually developers from yeah. Silicon Knights, which is really cool. I love how uh, Hideo Kojima employs that in everything he does. Like he uh, always puts uh, people's credits next to their names whenever the characters are introduced and the developers, I think he has a lot of respect for everyone who creates like his body of work. It's not just his, it's like a collaborative effort. So that's sort of why I like that kind of element. And I always appreciate that in games when you get to see developers uh, in games. Yeah. So many, so many Easter yeah. eggs in this game and just in general. Do you guys think that Silicon Knights, who, of course, they developed Eternal Darkness, do you think they were picked to develop uh, this game because of their work on Eternal Darkness, because of the fourth wall breaking? I think yeah. so. When you guys were talking, when we were talking about the uh, the final boss fight with like how that is, that does feel like Eternal Darkness, yeah. like... 100% basically like the fourth wall breaking they do the video one thing where like your screen goes black and you did just says video one so it's it's very similar to what Hideo did uh so I think that they got a lot of influence from uh from Metal Gear Solid with uh, Eternal Darkness um so I think I think that it is uh, or sorry uh I think that they were uh 
picked to do the game based on mm-hmm. that. Uh, but other than that, I don't know why they. I don't know why they were only told to do that one game. Like we talked about this already, Mike and I. Like they only did Metal Gear Solid one, and then never two, three, four, any of those ones. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Tristan, do you think? Uh, do, do you think that they were picked specifically because of Eternal Darkness? Well, yeah. There's not too much in terms of DNA besides that, but um, I think yeah. just from the outlook. It's Eternal Darkness is a game that's clearly made by a very talented developer. And um, I know that Konami was obviously wanting to work close in it with Nintendo. This game was also produced by uh, Shigeru Miyamoto. And you can definitely see that DNA there because there's a GameCube Yoshi and Mario in Otacon's office, which I love and appreciate. <laughs> yes, one of my favorite, uh, absolute favorite gems and uh, Easter eggs in this game is, of course... In his office, Atakan's office, uh, we have Yoshi and Mario, which if you shoot, you get health, which is kind of oh, cool. That. There you go. I'll have to do that in my next playthrough. <laughs> and uh, there's a GameCube. I don't know if you, you saw the GameCube in the office as well. Yes. Uh, which, yes. which is And awesome. the wave bird next the to wave it. The wave bird. Wave bird represents. <laughs> Not enough people have them. That uh, was that was a, no. a really fun one. I, I can't say I've ever seen a wave bird in another video game before so i thought that was really cool (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. it's pretty awesome there's so few gamecube games that feature the gamecube in them too like it's so weird how it's just it pops up every so often like we saw it in a random racing game what was it what was that game called i forget now city not city racers uh the game that i liked too (laughs) anyway there's a course where you race around a giant gamecube which is kind of cool but other than that, it really doesn't show up in many other games. I think there might be one in po- in Pokemon or something, but you battle uh, on the Mario Kart Double Dash. Uh, they have yeah, the yeah. Yep. Battle. battle on. Yeah, but I don't know why they yeah, didn't do that Mario for Switch Mario Kart. or Wii U. Yeah, <laughs> battle on the Wii U yeah. gamepad. <laughs> yeah. <And then laughs> hop over to battle the on the Switch, but it's just, the Switch is just like a very narrow course because it's like the top of it. They don't <laughs> even do the face; they just have it standing up. Oh right, my so goodness! You have like, no, you have like an inch on each side. <laughs> it's just jousting. It's so chaotic. <laughs> I would love that. I'll take it. Any oh day. man. <laughs> But Tristan, you said that uh, just going over to Metal Gear Solid as a franchise as a whole, you've picked up Metal Gear Solid 1 or Twin Snakes 2 and 3 so far. You have not played 4 or 5 yet, right? Uh, No. So I've just started 3. I picked up Metal Gear... What did I get? Uh, I picked up Twin Snakes. I got the HD collection for PS Vita, and then I also got the Game Boy one. So the one I've I finished the Game Boy Color Game uh, Metal Gear Solid. Although I would personally say it's closer to Metal Gear because it's two D and it plays very differently. So I've finished (laughs) that one. I finished Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes and two. Um, So you've become like a real Metal Gear Solid fan in the last year. Then are you like trying to play all like collect and play all of the games now? Like you're really hooked. It sounds like. Well, I'm actually trying to play most of Hideo Kojima's Mm. games, and the reason for that is because I. I, I, I do film, I do, I, and I'm, I really respect artists. And Hideo Kojima, as an artist, he's really like, he has a vision for his works, and he, like, you can just see it in every single thing like music, graphics, gameplay, story. It's all there. Um, and so I'm playing through pretty much all of his games. I want to. Um, and I'm currently doing a bit of Death Stranding on and off, and I love that game so much. Enough said. We don't need to talk he's, about all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he's the perfect example. And we talk on this podcast all the time about what we think makes a great game. And mm. uh, cohesiveness is our big thing. We think uh, uh, if a game is cohesive, if it feels like it was done by one person, it's going to be a great game. And Kojima is a master at that, right? Yep. Of course, uh, even for even for Twin Snakes, which I think is really interesting, that he had a very much a backseat 
role for Twin Snakes. He was busy developing uh, Metal Gear Solid 3 at mm. the time that was coming out just a couple months later. So he didn't have a lot to do with uh, Twin Snakes. It was mostly in the hands of Silicon Knights. And even in that sense, you can tell that it's a Kojima game. It's very, very structured. It's very cohesive. It does feel like one person did the entire thing. Like you said, the soundtrack, the cutscenes, the uh, the gameplay, everything is, it feels like just a, a such a beautiful package. And that is something that Metal Gear time and time again does beautifully as you're going to see as you play all the Kojima games. Uh, I think um, Metal Gear Solid 5, in my opinion, might be the most cohesive of all of them because it is such a later game 2015 and mm. it's just harder to make games in that sense anymore doing one thing really really well and it still does and huge props to that my personal Metal Gear, favorite metal gear solid is uh is to sense of liberty that's just an oh. amazing amazing game I did not like it. I'm sorry. <gasps> yeah, yeah my, that's okay. <laughs> I, 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 I haven't finished them all yet, but from a setting perspective, it just wasn't in my thing. And also the story, it's just like, oh, we're doing this. Oh, wait, that's all fake. And I'm like, but what? Oh, what is oh life? God. The story is, is just bananas. <laughs> you know, I'm getting so existential. Like, I just want to know what I'm doing, but I don't even know because the game keeps telling me I'm wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> I just... Yeah. I think you guys are both forgetting the greatest Hideo Kojima game of all time, though, that Tristan will eventually play, or maybe he already has, is Penguin Adventure from 1986. That is by far his greatest <laughs> piece of work. <laughs> Penguin Adventure. Uh, not on my list yet, for some really? reason. I will definitely <laughs> check <Penguin>. it out. <laughs> okay, well, according to Wikipedia, it is his first credited game as a designer. 1986 Penguin Adventure. So have fun with that one. Report back. Heck yeah. yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what, uh, uh, what consoles uh, can I play that Whatever. On? NES? No, I think it's like it's maybe <laughs> mainly mobile phones and uh, PC, but it's crazy to think that from 1986 <laughs> we went from Penguin Adventure to 2019's Death Stranding. <laughs> but. Absolutely. There's there's so many parallels. Uh, it's it's very, very deep world building in Penguin Adventure. <laughs> um. Oh, man. Well, I, I can't wait to get more of that world building, but uh, it's been awesome having you on for this, Tristan. We really appreciate you taking some time talking about some Metal Gear. And before we let you go, uh, is there anything else you'd like to say about this game? Uh, okay. I, I actually have something, and it's yes. what I love so much about Metal Gear Solid, and it's uh, the ending and what Hideo Kojima says has to say about the world it gets pretty real um, but what I love about it is is that he says he talks about war he says no more war and I deeply respect him sharing this vision for true world peace he he it, it resonates so deeply with me because these are real fears you know we you know it's not hard to look around and see so much destruction from what people are doing to the world and what I love about his vision here is that while I'm not necessarily in control of these nuclear deposits or whatever, what I love is that he leaves us with a choice and our choice is, and my choice is no more war. We share the same world, one world. So let's take part and treat each other with that in mind. That's my little statement. (laughs) (laughs) It's a beautiful message. And I'm glad that you are able to share Kojima's message in that too, because yeah, it's a, 
it's definitely, you don't really anticipate, well, I guess you do in some senses, but you don't really anticipate that kind of ending as well. And the choice, uh, Deus Ex also does a very similar thing in, in, uh, in Human Revolution. So uh, I really, really enjoy when developers can do that. I think that's just artists in general, right? Like you said, you, you can only influence so much, you can only do so much. And mm. uh, having a positive message like that is a, is a huge boon to to really anyone playing that game and and mm. yeah, lucky you you were able to play this game in 2022 and and take that away so that's huge yeah i think it's beautiful so and to yeah. do it tastefully too like there's so many examples these days of messages that are just so heavy-handed and they beat you over the head with whatever social message that they're trying to push uh this game does it so beautifully mm. and uh like an anti-war message it's sadly a very uh timeless message like just saying no to war like this game yeah. came out <laughs> 24 years ago now and like it's still like especially this year especially with what's going on uh, in certain parts of the world which we don't have to talk about here but it's like man like it's so sad that like this message would have made sense in 1939 and it makes sense in 2022 and it would have made sense in 1812 and like it just it's so crazy like how that message alone is just it'll it'll make sense in 100 years too which is sad but true yep yep and and that's why i respect his work because it yeah um, no matter how old it gets, he still has a lot of timeless kind of messages and stories. Yeah. He doesn't just leave us to just play the game, but he, if you're receptive to it, he actually lets you think of it. And that's why I love Death Stranding as well. Play it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're telling me that you don't love the opening scene of Call of Duty where they go and shoot up an airport? Come on. That's the that's the true, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's the true way to guys. show yeah. Just wait until you see the opening cutscene of Penguin Adventure. It's going to blow you away. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, um, I'm really hyped. I've already good, pre-ordered good. it. Um, uh, the remaster yeah, finally good. coming out yeah <laughs> well tristan thank you for that beautiful message and thank you kojima for for all the amazing art and amazing messages you've given all of us in the last well, 30 years or so or even more uh and why don't we leave you with the chance now uh, tristan to uh plug whatever you're working on well i mean i I'm a freelancer. I, I work in the film industry, but my creative projects are always something that I just do on the side. I work on, I'm working on a music video currently, just saving up for a lot of gear for that. But um, if you ever want to tune in, uh, just look me up on Tristan Panerotto on Instagram or YouTube. Um, I'm always there. I have a very measly following, but that's not the point. The point is to put my work out there and just show people, you know, what I'm made of. Um, and so, yeah, keep an eye out for that. It's called Desert Rose. Um, and it'll be coming in the next few months. Amazing. Hey, awesome. Awesome. That's, That's really amazing. Cool to yeah, you got to start somewhere for sure. And it's definitely, I can tell how much you appreciate Kojima's work being someone who works in film and Kojima as well. So it's really nice to, to have you on again. Uh, remember listeners, if you haven't already go back and check out our resident evil four episode, if you want to hear more of Tristan's beautiful voice, we don't get a lot of Aussie voices here on, uh, on the podcast. So it's really nice to have that, <laughs> uh, that diversity, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'll take that uh yeah great I love australia represent can't wait to go to canada i'm planning on doing it oh. next year so i'll see you Sweet. guys there yeah. Ooh, very yeah, nice definitely. Yeah, we'll show you up. around toronto yeah. i'll show you the uh the cool spots and the video game stores definitely oh heck yeah i will be there for that <laughs> sweet well looking forward to that but until then tristan we will uh we'll talk to you again real soon no worries take care guys bye see you later what a nice young man what a nice young man. Thank you very much, Tristan, for coming on. It was an absolute blast to have you on, as always. Uh, it's really interesting to talk to someone like me, basically, who is playing these Metal Gear games in recent years, at least the uh, Twin Snakes, because I, 
I would like to hear what people have to say from the PlayStation era who, you know, played the PlayStation game and then played this game. For Tristan, of course, he's kind of going in blind playing Twin Snakes and being like, yeah, this is great. Everything's mm-hmm. fun. Like, everything <laughs> works. The controls work. The graphics look, look great. Uh, and that was kind of my my thought process too. But yeah, it was uh, always awesome to have him on and uh, love his love for Kojima because I love Kojima too. Yeah, I love his love for video games in general and film, obviously. Like Tristan, is uh, he's going into filmmaking, which is cool. We talked about that on the Resident Evil 4 episode. So it's, uh, it's great to see how involved he is in video games as well. And also somebody who's only 21, like he's eight, eight or nine years younger than us, which is really cool to have somebody with that perspective. Like he was born when the GameCube came out and he absolutely loves these games. He said he's played games from the 90s and I've talked about this before, but I can't I can't stand people who like don't know anything about things that didn't or that don't know anything about things that came out before they were born. Like people who don't know bands and don't know movies and don't know video games and TV shows. Like it's it's refreshing to meet people like him who uh who go back and uh find out more about things that were before their time. Like and, we do. Uh, like we do too. Yeah, like we're in that group too. Like obviously it's with every generation. Like there's people our age who don't know anything about things from the 80s or the 70s or back from there. So uh, obviously no video games in the seventies to talk about, unless we want to go and talk about some old PC games, Mike, do you think we should do that? I'll bring my dad on. He'd love that. <laughs> <laughs> good old, good old Mr. Lane coming on to talk about the, uh, the Commodore 64. That That's not even seventies. What the hell would the seventies games be? Well, Pac, like, he just remember he played at arcades. So he, uh, bars, bars. Yeah. Let's put a pin on that idea. But, uh, <laughs> before we, before we start that podcast, Mike, let's, uh, let's bring on our next caller for the day. Who's, uh, who's joining us next to talk about Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes. Well, last week, Neil, we promised that we would bring back friend of the show, Kira, at Toonie Twirls, and we are doing just that. She's going to be here to talk about Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes. And our first question to you, Kira, would be, what is your favorite Metal Gear game of all time? I have to say um, the Twin Snakes because it's the only one that I've played. Mm. <laughs> I guess yeah, I guess yeah. being a GameCube owner and only playing old school GameCube games, there wouldn't really be many other opportunities to play a Metal Gear game, since you, you never went over to PS2 or any PlayStation 1, you're not on any of those uh, platforms? No, no, just Nintendo all my life. Nice, good, mm. good. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. It's it, This is a very rare instance, I guess you could say, where like a there's like a third-party kind of game that's only on a Nintendo system that's kind of just being stranded there. Yeah. I guess some would argue maybe Goldeneye uh, on N64, but hey, now that's uh, going to be on uh, on Switch Online uh, in the future. But yeah, so Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes, of course, you haven't had experience with any other games. So what were your first impressions when you first booted this up? Uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to like it because, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I just wasn't very good at it. <laughs> so yeah, I don't, um, I mean, I actually do like stealth, but I'm not very good at it, like... <laughs> Because I think I put this up Beyond Good and Evil as well, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I have the same uh, like trepidation with the series too. Like Mike is a huge stealth fan, so I think he would kind of shoehorn himself right into these games, no problem for me. Like I look at these games and I, like, I look at the plot going on and I look at like the stealth where you have to like sneak around for an hour and then you get seen and then you've screwed up everything that you've done so far. <laughs> Mike gets a lot of enjoyment out of that. I don't. Uh, I probably end up playing this game guns a blazing, just going and shooting up everything, which I know is not the way to play it. Yeah. Uh, is that is that how you kind of ended up playing it, or did you end up trying to play more stealthily? At first, I kind of just went for it, but then I I learned over time, <laughs> you know. 
Yeah, you're not supposed to. <laughs> yeah. That's one nice thing about the game too, of course, is it gives you the option, very much like Deus Ex as well in that sense where you have a choice to go guns a-blazing or not, and you get rewarded very much so by not going guns a-blazing. And I feel like you get rewarded mentally as well because you feel like you've accomplished it a lot more, especially with... I find Metal Gear has a lot of really fun ways to evade enemies. And of course, the boxes, my personal favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Hiding in the cardboard boxes, you mean? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's great. Oh, it's so it's so good. I love that too. There's a lot of like little touches in this game that um, they added to. Like there's the cardboard box, which is iconic. There's also the, um, I, if you want to call it a mechanic or whatever, like the gadget where you kind of drop magazines around too for the, <laughs> oh, yeah. the NPCs to see. And they're like meant to be dirty magazines. And it's, <laughs> it's really funny. There's just wacky, goofy stuff like that that just makes it, it's not supposed to be cheesy, these games, even though they come across as cheesy 20 years later, but really they're, they're supposed to be campy. Where it's yeah. like, yeah, this is just the world that people live in. Like, everybody talks weird to each other. There's just goofy stuff happening, and no one thinks it's weird. Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> it doesn't take itself too seriously, which I do kind of like. I, I appreciate that, too. It's nice, like, you know, obviously the dialogue is pretty, pretty crazy, but the story is interesting. And I know, Kira, you're, you're, pre- you're pretty big on stories and games and emotional characters and everything. What did you think of the characters in the story in this one? I love the characters. That was probably my favorite thing about the game. Like, um, just the bosses, like, they're all really, really memorable. Do you have a favorite character in the game or, or bo- and or boss? Um, I have two. Can I say two? Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> I have to say Psycho Madness because he's so iconic. Because mm-hmm. it was, um, it was funny because somehow I knew absolutely nothing about this game going into it, even, like, all these years later. So I had no idea about, um, the, the trick that he does where he looks at your memory card to see what, what games you've been playing. <laughs> it yeah. tries to like uh, spook you out with that because it didn't even hit me at first that that's what he was doing because GameCube games are such a huge part of my life that if I went to like a psychic in like real life, they'd probably say the same thing. <laughs> they'd be like, yeah, they'd be a little bit around, you know, be like, well, it's a lot of Wind Waker up here. <laughs> I noticed you've been playing Nintendo games. Like adventure games. So <laughs> yeah, it, it's terrific. And it's a huge change up from the, not a huge change up, but just the difference between that and the PlayStation 1 version where it notices when you've been playing Konami games like Castlevania and Azure Dreams and, and games like that. Whereas this one is like, you've been playing Silicon Knights games like Eternal Darkness. And then he yeah, mentions yeah, like Super Smash Brothers Melee and everything. And it's so Mario cool. Sunshine. It, Mario yeah. Sunshine is another one too. Yeah. It's really creepy and fourth wall breaking and, and Silicon Knights, the reference to them, obviously they're the, the developer for this game. You can see yeah. how like they got inspired. We talked about this a little bit with Tristan, but how they got inspired to uh, make this game after making Eternal Darkness, which is just fourth wall break after psychological manipulation after the other. And like that boss fight for me feels like it's straight from Eternal Darkness. It's it's really cool. Uh, even that, that part of the boss fight too, which is super neat, is like the office that he's in and like all of the paintings behind him are the developer. Like I think it's what it's Hideo Kojima, uh, Ryoi Kitamura, and Dennis Dayak, which is cool. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that whole boss fight is super super iconic. But who was the other character that you were going to uh, going to mention? Yeah, Sniper Wolf. So I remember mm. I was um I was talking to my dad about it about the game because he played. I think he I don't think he actually played it, but he knew of the original. So, and he was like, "Oh, have you, have you encountered Sniper Wolf yet?" <laughs> and I was like. <laughs> Yeah, well, when I did get to um, get to Snipe Wolf, it was a really iconic boss fight. Yeah, what about that boss fight made you love it so much? It's just, it's just good fun. <laughs> just trying to sneak around. I mean, I wasn't very good at it either because, I don't know, I, I wasn't sure of like, the technique, but just trying to like watch as she like, um, ran between the trees or whatever, trying to like spot where she was. It was quite fun. 
Yeah, it's such an interesting, like, sniping mechanics in a game like this are so interesting, and I'm glad that they were able to kind of use it to their advantage and make a, such a fun, unique boss fight. And I think, honestly, that's the, the name of the game, of, of this game, is uh, is uniqueness. Mm. There's a lot of things that I don't really ever see in any other games. The Psycho Mantis fight, of course, is, like, the <laughs> one that stands out. But honestly, just all the boss fights are uniquely done and and well done like the, I, I never feel like i'm going back to like any kind of repetition uh, mm-hmm. in this yeah. game like we we talked about beyond good and evil how at first when you play the game you're like wow this is all amazing and really cool and then it does get repetitive after a while yeah but this is like this gets amazing and then it stays that way till pretty much the end i think that's right a hundred percent and which is really hard to do i find like in a stealth game like neil you you put it well there where it does get kind of annoying when you take half an hour to try and sneak around someone and then you get caught and you go back like um but this game does reward you in a lot of great ways and really you almost want to finish this game out of spite (laughs) (laughs) just prove that you're good enough exactly (laughs) and you've sat through like 18 hours of cutscenes and like all of these different things uh it's an incredibly long not a long game, but just like a lot of cutscenes and everything to get through. A so lot it feels like a lot around. of story to unwrap mm-hmm. for sure. Were you able to follow the story very well, Kira? Because like I, I watched like the the, the cutscenes and everything, and like the quote unquote movie compilations that they make mm-hmm. up, and it, it's so like it's so convoluted. Were you able to kind yeah. of keep up? I I think my like my one complaint. So yeah, it's a good game, but one complaint would be that the story is a bit hard to follow towards the end, especially like. All this foxhound stuff, I wasn't quite keeping up, but mm-hmm. yeah, that I think that kind of part of it was also for uh, like the longtime Metal Gear fans. Yeah, so I was just just jumping into it, it was a bit like whoa. Exactly. Right. One thing I did, we talked about this a little bit, but I want to talk about it a bit more. Is the fact that this game was well received at the time when it came out. It got solid eights, eight and halves, uh, as basically everything Metal Gear does uh, gets usually around that score. Um, but there was a pretty big fan backlash. Yeah, when I, I, this came I saw out. that. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I was just, I'm, I'm confused because like, how good was like the original for this to be considered like a disappointment? Because I think this game's fantastic. So yeah, like there's straight up a one hour video on YouTube of like how not to remake a game based yeah, on. That's, uh, I don't get it. I mean, I, I haven't I played know. the original, so I suppose I can't really speak. But I just I don't get how this game could be that bad. I really think it is like you had to have been a teenager or in your early twenties in 1998 playing the original Metal Gear. But the, again, it's only been six years since that that game had come out. But it's like anything, like with movies or music, like you just don't touch classic albums, you don't touch classic movies. Yeah. And this is one of those games, unfortunately. And even though there are lots of improvements, I think over over the original, like obviously the graphical fidelity is so much better. They've added gameplay mechanics from Metal Gear Solid Two, which which makes playing this game better. It's just like the voice acting is different, which is going to rub people the wrong way. The music mm. is different, which is is going to rub people the wrong way the cutscenes are slightly different as well which makes the story different in other ways so it just all adds up it's not so much there was one massive problem with it it was more just like a death by a thousand cuts kind of thing but like yeah. mike said like it is still a very good game like like you carry you've only, this is the only one that you've played so you don't have anything <laughs> to to compare it to and you don't have anything to compare it to going forward because for some reason this was the only metal gear game that ever ended up on gamecube or we like i really thought that they would have gone back and completed the trilogy at some point but they never did is that something that you'd probably want to see at some point because there must be a lot of loose ends for you to to kind of tie up yeah, I actually didn't really want to dive more into this series, but it's just not possible with um, Nintendo consoles. So, yeah. And I think kind of like I have a theory on why mm. people, especially like diehard fans, really do not like this version of the game. 
And I think it's because of the forced exclusivity. I think mm. it was the fact that uh, if you're like 20 years old in 2003 or whenever this came out, uh, you're forced to buy it on GameCube. No, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we all own GameCubes. Be... Now we'd be, we're totally fine with that. Yeah, but the PlayStation 2 owners are all probably a little bit butthurt. And Metal Gear was so kind of uh, iconic with PlayStation at the time. It was right. so tied together. So I think this kind of made people a little angry. I think if this was on everything, the backlash wouldn't be as harsh because everyone would ha- be able to play it on whatever system they had. I'd like the idea. Like, I think I-, I-, I do stand behind Konami on their decision to make it a GameCube exclusive. One, as a GameCube podcast and as a, <laughs> a GameCube enthusiast myself. But two, in the fact that uh, Resident Evil had just done this the year before and achieved huge success. Yeah. So if you're Konami, like, this just makes sense. GameCube seems to be a good way to port things. Uh, developers, as we know, Neil, actually liked working with the GameCube and the uh, the, mm-hmm. the dev kits and everything. The, the textures could be done really well. The shadows, especially. We talked about Splinter Cell yeah. a while back on how Splinter Cell on GameCube is actually the preferred way to play because the uh, GameCube shadow engine, or I don't know what you would call it, but <laughs> the way they make shadows, which was why Luigi's Mansion was created, basically as a tech demo for that shadow engine, um, it, it served... Splinter Cell so well for Chaos Theory, and I, it serves it very well for Metal Gear Solid here too. So I, I I kind of understand the backlash, but I also really really don't. What I really don't understand yeah. is the, the current backlash. It's still people still like I was watching these videos. Yeah, like Neil said, like how not to remake a game. A guy who like went through the entire Metal Gear Solid franchise and was like, I like this game, but I know everyone hates it. I was like, what? it's not like a Wind Waker situation when it came out. It wasn't necessarily what people wanted at first. And then people were like, oh, this is an amazing game. This kind of had just stayed this weird animosity towards it. And that's the part I don't understand. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. I mean, I suppose they, I can't really criticize because I don't, whenever like something that you love gets remade, it, it is always to feel just kind of wrong. I mean, I don't really care for the Wind Waker remake, which probably makes less sense. So I suppose I do get it, but I love this game even so. So Yeah, know. right now it's it's interesting because we live in a time where everything's getting remade, whereas mm. in 2003, when this game was announced, to 2004, remakes weren't really common yet. Just uh, Resident like, Evil, really. Like that would have been the big one. Yeah, I'm thinking about movies. I'm also thinking about video games. I'm also thinking about movies. Even like more recently, albums and songs get re-recorded by, by artists, which is just weird. Um, yeah. But like, like, I think it was last week. This is completely unrelated, but like they 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 announced uh, the, a small teaser trailer for the new Little Mermaid movie, and it's oh, like five oh, seconds, yeah. and it's got like two million down votes. Like it's just like people don't like remakes anymore as much as yeah. we used to. Like reimaginings and remasters are completely different, but when you're like the old games still exist. That's the thing is like you can still go back and play Metal Gear Solid on your PS One. We're not telling you that this game no longer exists. The GameCube is still the only way to play uh, Twin Snakes, so it exists for the fans of the GameCube, and it exists for fans of Metal Gear if they want to play it. It doesn't take anything away from the original, really. They're both great games in their own regard. Maybe one is better than the other. That's a completely subjective thing, but I don't think that you have to go out and put out a one-hour video about how it's so much worse than the original, when this could be yeah. argued as being 
one of the better games on the GameCube, just in terms of it being, it's a mature game, it's a great looking game, it works, like the acting is all still very good, the setting is really cool, I love the Alaskan setting, there's really nothing Mm -hmm. like that on GameCube, I like any kind of like cold Alaskan setting for video games, like The Thing is like really, the movie The Thing is really cool for that reason, Um, like the snow effects, the breath effects of everybody, it's all really, really well done on the GameCube, so like in a, in a vacuum, this game is really good. It's just unfortunately it exists in a world where PlayStation fans are absolutely crazy and hate it <laughs> when Nintendo consoles have good games. <laughs> but how did you, Kira? I gotta ask, how did you get into this series? Since you, or this you, you game. oh sorry, this well this series and this game because you mentioned your dad played it uh, or the, the original at some point. So is your dad a gamer and you learned it from him, or did you just get into this because of GameCube lists? Like, tell us, how did you how did you get into it? It was, it's actually the same as Beyond Good and Evil because, again, it was on lists and stuff. And I don't know. I just I, I asked for it. But the thing is, right, because it's so expensive. So I didn't actually ask for it because, like, I think I put it on the list. And then okay. I showed it to my dad. And he was like, well, you're not getting that because it's too expensive. <laughs> <laughs> but um, apparently he kept an eye out because he still bought it for me. I, I don't know what he paid for it, but it was like the be- biggest surprise ever. Is, is the European one, is that the one uh, that is like all red, Kira? Is that the one you have? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> oh my God, that one is so good. Yeah, ours awesome. sucks. Oh, it is nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't like ours at all. It's like a CG rendering of Solid and Liquid Snake standing next to each other, looking all moody and stoic. It looks like a weird anime picture. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Not a fan. Yeah. You guys definitely lucked out with the box art there. It's it's awesome. And the Japanese... The Japan version is really similar. I think it's just a little more bolded than the other one. I mm. forget. There's like a slight difference in how much black is in one over the other. I don't know where they came up with that difference, but Japan had the best release of everybody by far. Uh, they released Twin Snakes along with a premium package. The box included a platinum GameCube with the Foxhound logo, which is so cool. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's awesome. It's like 600 bucks on eBay now, but uh, there's a 400-page book uh, containing production notes, sketches, and photos, and a GameCube disc, uh, which contained uh, a port of the um, the Famicom version of Metal Gear, which is awesome. I would love to get my hands on that book, just because there is so... Like, the information around this game 20 years later is really hard to find much about it, because this game was developed by Konami, Nintendo, and Silicon Knights, so, like, the information is all very scattered. Konami barely is in video games anymore. Nintendo is very secretive, and Silicon Knights are now defunct, so it would be really cool to have that book to get a little bit more information about this game and how it came to be, because being in that boardroom, like, hearing Miyamoto and, uh, Kot, um, Hideo Kojima talk- talking to each other about this, uh, this remake would have been so cool. I also yeah. noticed too that on the box art it says produced by uh, Kojima and not directed. All the Metal Gear games often say directed because, as we know, he did not fully direct this one. This was uh, more just out of his hands. He produced it, acted as a guiding force, as we said earlier. But yeah, uh, that is Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes. It's kind of unfortunate <laughs> that it's uh, it's been stuck on the GameCube and it's not going to go anywhere else. Uh, I mean. Good for you, Kira, because you're playing GameCube anyways all the time. So <laughs> yeah, this is yeah, so we established last time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but in your opinion, what do you think is the future for kind of Metal Gear Solid games on Nintendo systems? Do do you think we see a chance at Twin Snakes being remade again? I'm not sure. I mean, is I, I don't know. There's so few Metal Gear games on any sort of Nintendo stuff, so I'm not sure if we'll see it again. But uh, yeah, they said. They've said that the original Metal Gear is really hard to remake and port to different consoles because of that Psycho Mantis boss fight at the very end. Yeah, that as well. 
That's what mm-hmm. I've heard is just like the switching of controller ports, which is really ingenious. The memory card reading, it just makes it really difficult to to port. And that got me thinking, like, it could potentially work on Switch. Like, the Switch has internal memory. It has different controller ports. You could switch from playing handheld or with your pro controller to playing with one Joy-Con or something so that Psycho Mantis can't read your memory anymore or something. Like, I feel like that the Switch could probably be one of the only ways to, to do it. Um but that, that's the reason why, like, the original Metal Gear Solid is not on the PlayStation 3 collection is because porting the uh, PlayStation 1 version is just too complicated. But I, I don't know, like, maybe you could change that boss fight around so that he doesn't do that. But I think that takes away from the effect. I would I would much rather just see the other two games ported to uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3 ported to Nintendo hardware at some point just to give us kind of closure on that because it's just like they opened up this chest uh, in 2003 and never really went back to it other than solid snake being in brawl and now uh now the other smash bros games as well so it's weird like metal gear and nintendo have this really weird relationship that started 20 years ago now and never really came to anything other than this one game that's super divisive yeah it sort of fizzled out <laughs> very much kind of fizzled out there yeah um uh, Kira, I just wanted to go back to the Psycho Mantis boss fight because uh, I got reminded uh, you had never been spoiled of it, which is congratulations because yeah. that's, wow. that's hard to do. That was, yeah, that was that was great. Uh, it's so great being able to do it when it's in this game blind. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how how long did it take you to figure out that you had to switch to controller port? Um, I'm, I'm, I have to be honest, I, th- I think I Googled it at the end because I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not going to lie about that. I was like really stumped. Yeah. And I, I love being stumped in like those situations. Uh, it's, it, it makes the game interesting enough as well. And again, the uniqueness of this game in general just makes it that you want to tell other people about it. Be like, oh my God, there's this one fight that, oh, it's going to be so cool. <laughs> yeah, I was told everyone about that. <laughs> that. That's one of those things though that like exists in 1998, going back to the original game, so much better than it would in two, in 2022, where like this is like the ultimate schoolyard conversation game where it's like, did you yeah. know that you have to switch out your controller ports and then someone else would like call BS on you because like there's no <laughs> way that that's a thing. Whereas nowadays, like you would go on YouTube and instantly see in the title of a YouTube video, like Psycho Mantis, change controller port hack kind of thing. Like there's no secrets and there's no like, there's no, I guess, discoverability in games anymore like that. Yeah, it's so that hard to sneak upsetting. that kind of thing mm-hmm. in, which is why I'm so impressed here that you were able to make it 20 years without knowing about that. Cause <laughs> I knew about that having never played the original or the remake. So it's, uh, that's awesome. I, I would love more experiences like that in video games, but they're so rare, which is what makes this game so special. Yeah, I have no idea what happened. It's how, like, there's, like, some games, like, Eternal Darkness, that I don't think they could follow this up because you you just get spoiled so easily on, like, what all the effects are in that, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 a tough act to follow for sure, but I think they did the absolute best they could uh, with this edition on the GameCube. But uh, with that, Neil, I think it's time for us to read the back of the case. What do you think? All right, sounds good. But first, Victor, hit us with that sweet jingle. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. Classic Metal, New Year. 
two of the greatest games of all time, Metal Gear Solid and Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty are fused together to form the Nintendo GameCube classic, Metal Gear Solid The Twin Snakes. As Solid Snake, your mission is to rescue hostages from an Alaskan military installation and prevent a terrorist group from launching a nuclear strike. For the first time ever, experience Metal Gear Solid in the way it was always meant to be played. A reinvented Metal Gear Solid game directed by Hideo Kojima. Stunning next-generation graphics with all-new breathtaking cutscenes. Awesome new gameplay, including hanging from ledges, somersaults, and first-person mode. Acclaimed cinematic storyline. Inter interesting that they kind of pushed the advertisement of uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 is mm. like joined with the uh, the first one. I mean, which is technically true because it is using that engine. But uh, yeah. yeah, just like a weird way to advertise it. Yeah, GameCube fans are like scratching their heads being like, where can I buy this game? <laughs> I thought it was two games in one at first when I mm. saw that. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's kind of what it sounds like, right? It's like, oh, yeah. it's... it's but that uh, has, um, has two discs as well. So That's true. That threw me off yeah. as well. <laughs> one of those two disc games. That would have been cool if it did come packed in, but then again, like they would have then had to have gone back and put four disc game. A four disc game. <laughs> Just a book of games. That would have been awesome. But yeah, referencing other games that aren't on the GameCube console is an interesting marketing decision. It'd be like if when Metroid comes out, like combining the space exploration of Metroid with the shooting mechanics of Halo. It's like <laughs> I don't know. You just don't see that too often, yeah. and it's it's an interesting... Yeah, good point, Mike. Good uh, good call-out. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, Kira, it's been amazing having you on, as always. And before we let you go, is there anything else you'd like to say about uh, this game and this franchise? Yeah, I think we've covered everything. Right on. Short and sweet. Mm -hmm. Love it. Well, thank Perfect. you so much for coming back on. Uh, second time in two weeks, you're becoming quite the regular here. So if anybody <laughs> happened to miss you on our episode last week on uh, on our Beyond Good and Evil episode, why don't you let listeners know where they can find you on uh, on all the social media platforms? All right. So just on Instagram, I have my account, Twirls, where I post all about GameCube games, what I'm playing, what I'm collecting, all that stuff. I do live streams. And I also have my Tales of the Great Sea account where I talk about Zelda, basically. <laughs> nice. Great timing for you. Uh, we Since we last talked, there's been a pretty good Nintendo Direct with some new, uh, new Zelda news, I guess. Top level, just real quick. Are you excited for the new Zelda game coming out next year? I guess you're not going to play it. You don't have Switch. <laughs> Never mind. Um, no, no, I, I did. I, used to, I had Breath of the Wild, the first one. But mm. if you want, honestly, I wasn't that keen on it. So. Okay. Cool. I have to keep like correcting myself because I forget that you don't have modern consoles. I'm like, no, it's okay. It's yeah, everyone assumes. <laughs> I figured every Zelda game, or I figure every Zelda fan has played every Zelda game, but that's clearly not the case. So I played, I played all of them, but I won't have played. I won't play this new one, so that's going to be weird. But we'll just. Yeah, well, it, it, it is refreshing to speak to somebody who is a big fan of a series and is able to admit that, like, you know, not every game in this series is uh, is golden because... Especially um, Breath of the Wild because the fans can be a bit rabid. So I'm always a bit reluctant to talk about it, but... Yeah. It's quite divisive, just like Metal Gear Solid and Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes can divide, <laughs> uh, can divide uh, fan bases. So, yeah, another mm -hmm. good example of that. But yeah, it's always great to have you on, Kira, and we hope to talk to you again real soon. And uh, yeah, enjoy the day. All right, you too. Bye. Goodbye. Take care. Bye. What a nice young lady. What a nice young lady. Thank you very much, Kira, for coming on once again to talk about Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes. It's such a fun game to talk about. Uh, so unique. Uh, you know, a PS exclusive that was a GameCube exclusive that's not a, ex a GameCube exclusive <laughs> anymore. And uh, getting her perspective on it as well is really interesting, you know, as someone who, who mainly plays the GameCube and is a big fan of it like us. And she got to play it just, you know, only last year and got to experience it in that way and still loved it. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that's like a 
a big props to showing how great this game is and hopefully to say like hey who if anyone doesn't like this game out there who's like oh well you know that you can't remake this because the original was so good it's like well now you have these new fans yeah. like Kira, who got to experience this and experience the franchise that they probably never would have experienced before. No, exactly. It did open the door for a lot of Nintendo fans, but it just is so head-scratching that this is the only one. There wasn't Metal Gear Solid game put on 3DS back in the day, too, which was random, oh. plus the random Game Boy games, too. So it's just, this franchise just dips in and out of Nintendo consoles. I would like to see it become more of a mainstay in Nintendo's uh, catalog because we don't have a lot of stealth games we don't have any stealth games like this, really. Not really. Um, you can play, like, Breath of the Wild stealthy, kind of, but it's nothing like this. There's no espionage, there's no government spies, and, and double-crossing, and double agents, and, and plot twists and everything. It's an interesting story that I think Nintendo could have a field day with, even if we end up getting, like, Metal Gear spinoffs or something, would, would be fine with me, even if it's not based on the, uh, the original, now, five games, which I assume that's all we're going to get now, now that Konami is, uh, is, has separated themselves from Hideo Kojima. It'll be interesting to see where the series uh, goes going forward. Um, Mike, I think that this game is featured in 1001 video games. You must play before you die. Do you have that book with you right now? Oh, you know I do, Neil. You know I do. Twin Snakes is the definitive version of a gaming touchstone. And the greatest compliment you can pay Metal Gear Solid is that it's a game done a disservice by the content, descriptions, and explanation uh, that follow it. It's a brilliant game, first and foremost, but it's also a brilliant game about games mm. and about how players play games. Alongside Metal Gear Solid 3, this is the pinnacle of the series and is emphatically a game rather than a dissertion delivered in the FMV form. Many games have intellectual ambitions, but few have the bravery to try and reconcile their loftier goals with the game itself, much less bring them to beat on the player through the player's own actions. Constantly surprising and kept fresh by the workmanship of Silicon Knights, Metal Gear Solid The Twin Snakes is an uncompromising version of a classic, and as rich, detailed, and as clever as games come. Interesting. I was just thinking while you were reading that, I guess Metal Gear Solid appears twice in that book, right? Because the PlayStation version has to be in there, too. It is in there, yeah. <laughs> and so, and so I, it was interesting to, to think of this as the definitive version. And I think mm -hmm. that would have been a better way to sell this game and market it, I think, would be to say, like, Metal Gear Solid Deluxe or something, or, like, Metal Gear Solid. I, I think the Twin Snakes moniker is a strange move mm -hmm. because it doesn't tell you anything about the fact that it's a remake. Because yeah. I honestly did not know this, like I said earlier on, before the beginning of this uh, this podcast. Uh, so it, it was strange that they went with that name, especially like as an exclusive game mm -hmm. where you're really trying to get people to, uh, to, to buy GameCubes to buy this game. Like if you went more of like Metal Gear Solid Deluxe or something, then people would be like, oh, the original game. <laughs> cool. Yeah, like Kira even said, like when she was looking into this game, she thought it was just two games on one disc or on, sure, on two yeah. discs, right? Which rightfully so. Like you have on the back of the case, it's saying uh, two of the greatest games of all time, Metal Gear Solid and Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty, are fused together to, to form the classic GameCube game or whatever. Like that can be interpreted one of two ways. Yeah, It's yeah. either a combination of the influences of the two games into one or you're literally getting two games in, in this package. And, and yeah, like I think calling it Metal Gear Solid Definitive Edition uh, would be what it would be called if it were released in 2010 or 2020 because it feels like that version of every game comes out a few months later. You get the Definitive Version or the Collector's Edition or, or whatever mm -hmm. it may be. So 
uh, yeah, the marketing behind this game was interesting. And even the commercial for this game, I can't remember if we <laughs> mentioned it with Tristan, but uh, we mentioned the, the playtime of the cutscenes. There was a 27-minute trailer released for this game, too, which even after that, people weren't really sure what was going on. Uh, that, that trailer, I watched it. It's basically like a... It's got... Um, vignettes of every single character in the game like it uh it, it's a trailer for all the boss fights basically and it comes to about 27 minutes which is awesome uh goes through each boss including um uh, psycho mantis and revolver ocelot who is one of my favorite boss fights in the game i love him you know spinning his gun around and then eventually getting his arm chopped off and everything he's a really cool boss too but mike before we uh, go into our closing comments are there is there anything more that you want to talk about uh, about this game before we uh, before we close out one thing we didn't really mention, we just touched on it, and I, I, I would feel doing a disservice to this game if I didn't mention it more, is the soundtrack. Mm. Uh, the soundtrack on this game in particular is so well done and so iconic. Uh, it's the, the moody strings, the, the, the massive brass, the, the little sounds that... I can't, I'll put it in. <laughs> the, yeah, the sound effect when, uh, when guards are alerted to you. Yeah, yeah, like, like yeah, yeah. It, it's so good. You of course hear that playing the Shadow Moses uh, stage in Smash Bros, uh, and <laughs> it's just that's one of my favorite non-Nintendo IP soundtracks ever. It's uh, uh, it's so you know honestly it's close to Beyond Good and Evil mm-hmm. in that sense as well, where it, it's very much like a movie soundtrack rather than a game soundtrack. Everything is based on the mood of the game, based on what's going on. And I think they do a great job in taking cues and bringing up motifs again throughout the game, depending on what characters you're talking to. It's it it's something that really, really stood out for me when I was playing it again. You said it perfectly that the soundtrack uh, makes the game feel moody. And I think that that's, that's accurate. Like it is very somber and everything's in a minor key, basically. I do like the soundtrack for this game, but the soundtrack from this game was actually one of those things that I think I might agree on with that how not to do a remake video that I watched. And then I think that the original Metal Gear Solid on PlayStation 1 uh, is better in, in that one. I think yeah. that in cutscenes especially, it just hits harder. Having like, um, they mentioned like a choir, set more of a choir soundtrack as opposed to um, like a cello playing over an emotional moment. I think that the, um, like the, it just, it just hit harder in the PlayStation version, I think. Just so, compressed and like the audio just sounded worse. Sure. Basically. Yeah. Like I, I like to listen I to, see what you're saying. yeah, like if you listen to an, like a remastered version of that soundtrack, it does sound quite a bit stronger sure on the playstation literally the sound quality is not going to be as strong (laughs) um but i think that it fit the game better in the playstation version not to take anything away i think the gamecube version is really good too and if again you don't have anything to compare it to then it's going to be great but i think if you do compare it to the playstation version playstation might win in uh in that case uh one thing about this game that i i just want to talk about one more time is that i just love the references to nintendo and silicon knights in this game we (laughs) talked a lot about the psycho mantis boss fight we talked a bit about you know you can find a a gamecube and a wave bird in one of the offices you can find a a yoshi plushie in otacon's office um there's uh in those dirty magazines that we mentioned um the main protagonist from eternal darkness is inside of one of those magazines which is cool yeah i love that uh there's a silicon knights website on one of the computer screens in the office too (laughs) so there's just like lots of little little nudges and and nods to uh to silicon knights and nintendo which is just awesome i wish more games would do this type of thing nowadays like playing like call of duty on nintendo and you just see mario somewhere in one of these offices it'd be it'd be really fun but uh, it's a fun game and uh and a classic in the gamecube library it really is and it is the 11th highest rated fan game on nintendo life i haven't brought this one up for wow. a while because we haven't had a lot of high rated fan games on <laughs> on there but uh they they had a really good write-up here saying 
Uh, seeing Metal Gear Solid, a game synonymous with Sony's PlayStation, on a Nintendo console was very welcoming, if jarring, experience back in 2004. It boasts obvious graphical upgrades and entirely re-recorded dialogue featuring almost all the original cast. The new additions were generally well-received, although the gameplay additions arguably trivialized some of the original game's difficulty. Still, it's a fine version of a classic and well worth adding to your collection, although tracking it down for a sensible price these days is a mission worthy of Solid Snake himself. <laughs> oh, 11th highest on Nintendo. That's Nintendo Life's all-time Nintendo, or is that GameCube? GameCube. Yeah, that makes sense. Still, very high. For, very. For, you know, it, that's a, one, probably one of the few non-Nintendo IPs that's going to be on here. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is, yeah, this is the one thing that kind of made me mad about seeing uh, people get angry about this game, saying that the gameplay editions trivialize the original game's difficulty. It's a hard game still, all right? Mm-hmm. So, like, <laughs> like it's not like it's, it's it's you're putting on funky mode to play this game. Like, it's still very difficult. And there's a lot going on in the background as well. And you have to be good at the game. Like Kira said, like, it's it's not like a, a just a pick up and play. It's you have to figure out how to do it properly. You can go in guns and blazing, but then you realize that you don't do things as well if you do that and you get caught easier. So it's... Uh, yeah, I I think I, I definitely strongly disagree with the whole idea of that it uh, trivializes the game. It actually did add an easy mode to it, too. Uh, if it, it, you can, yeah, you can play it even easier than that, which I guess would make the uh, the haters a little bit more angry. But the game is also far more... Uh, you can play the campaign uh, far more as a pacifist, too, in, in this yeah. game. Like, the, the GameCube version emphasizes the stun gun a little bit more. So I yes. believe this version, you can actually make it through the entire game without killing anybody, which I'm sure would be a hell of a lot harder than playing the game without... Uh, or playing the game by killing people. So I'm sure yeah, just exactly. like many other video games, you can make this harder or easier than it has to be, depending on uh, how you're going into it, which um, sounds, again, like a game for Mike Lane, not so much for Neil. <laughs> <laughs> Still, it is a fun game. And with that, I would say I would recommend this game, Neil. Uh, can you find it for a good price? Probably not, but if you can, then I think you should definitely try and pick it up because my prediction would be that this price only goes higher because I don't think this is going to go on Nintendo systems in the future. No, I, I'm in the same camp. I think that this is a game worth picking up for GameCube collectors and Metal Gear Solid fans, mainly just because like $100, $150, it's a lot to spend on a single game, but we haven't had a Metal Gear Solid mainline game, not counting Metal Gear Survive, in the last, what, seven years now, and I don't see any sign of one coming out anytime soon. A so, good one, at least. No. So if yeah. So if this is your only Metal Gear Solid purchase in the last seven years, then it, you're getting your money's worth for sure. Like, it's a long yeah. experience, almost 20 hours. You're getting a really good quality game on, on a great console. Um, so it's not high on my list of games to pick up, but it's one of those games where, like, you know, I have everything I need. I find this game at a decent price. I will... I will pick it up. I think it's I think it's worth having. Um, but uh, yeah, for now, it's one that I will keep on the back burner to uh, to pick up someday. But Mike, where do you see the future of Metal Gear going forward? We talked a little bit about that with Kira, wanting it maybe on Switch, maybe wanting the other two and three ported in some kind of a collection to Nintendo. But I guess seriously speaking now, where what what would you like to see Metal Gear uh, do in the future? You know what? That question kind of really depends on whether Kojima is involved or not. I think mm. Metal Gear is Kojima. Uh, it's, uh, you know, Tristan talked about that a bit in the fact that he is basically this game. It's so cohesive. It's clearly just his vision being brought to life. Mm. And, you know, I don't think you are able to do that without him. I, I seriously doubt it. And, I mean, what Konami has shown me so far is that they absolutely cannot with Metal Gear Survive. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. If, if Kojima somehow gets to go come back into the series... 
in I don't know, like another ten years or something, mm. then yeah, I would love love to see it come to Nintendo consoles, and I would like to be able to play it. Uh, playing Metal Gear uh, handheld would be really cool. Like playing it on the Switch, I would very much enjoy that because it is a, a, a long game, and it's a game that sometimes I'll be playing for like an hour, sitting down and say, oh well, I wish I could just pick this up and keep going and like keep my progress going, but. Uh, can't do that with uh, on the GameCube, <laughs> or can you? <laughs> it does have a handle. Mike, if Hideo Kojima came back to work on uh, Metal Gear in ten years, he will be sixty nine years old. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, like, how old is Miyamoto? He's probably close to seventy. Fair, I guess as director or producer, he could probably yeah. probably do it. But I think I think in ten years he will be retired. Um, he, he's getting to work on more uh, different projects. He's working on yeah. Death Stranding now, obviously. I think he'll probably want to work more in, in film, honestly. I don't know why he hasn't done more of that. But Konami, mm-hmm. working on Metal Gear without Kojima is such an interesting concept. Not thinking about Metal Gear Survive. That That's a bit more of a spinoff. I'm talking more about a mainline uh, Metal Gear game. I feel like that they pretty much have to reboot the series. I don't think that they could go to Metal Gear Solid 6. Um, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be smart. I think that the best thing that they can probably do is reboot it, uh, find a really good, uh, director, maybe somebody who has worked on Metal Gear in the past, almost like a, um, that Sonic, remember that Sonic game that came out like four or five years ago? Uh, yeah, yeah. Sonic Mania, like basically having it done by the fans. Basically. Yeah. Something like that. Like really hardcore Metal Gear fans working on it. And I think that you have to go maybe the Capcom route with Resident Evil and make slight changes to it so that it's not exactly compared to the originals like they did a great thing with resident evil 7 making it a first person game maybe you do the thing where you you bring metal gear solid fully into a first person mode we didn't really talk about that but there is a first person mode in twin snakes and other Mm -hmm. metal gear games as well i think maybe if you made this a fully first person game the metal gear solid reboot whatever it is that might be enough of a a disconnection from the original five games and spinoffs and everything that fans might not be completely, well, fans are going to be pissed no matter what you do. Um, (laughs) But at least that might bring in enough new people, people like me, honestly, who I'm not a huge fan of third person action games. I much rather would play a first person game like the old school Bond games that you and I both love. So um, that's kind of what I would like to see do is have, have somebody who's been influenced by Hideo Kojima make a first person Metal Gear Solid game. I can hear 50% of our listeners getting pissed at that idea. (laughs) But uh, money talks, and we will see. Maybe Konami will throw enough money at Kojima one day to uh, to come back to the series. I have a hard time believing that will happen, but uh, yeah. we will see. In 10 years, maybe uh, Hideo will come out of retirement. Maybe, maybe. And uh, he'll bring Solid Snake, who seems to get, keep getting brought out of retirement. That's how he <laughs> came into this game is, we need you again, Solid Snake. And, uh, of course, there's about 20 double agents. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, f- watch the Metal Gear Solid movie if you want to uh, fully understand the plot. I know we didn't talk about it too much, but it's it, it's impossible for us to talk about it on a two-hour podcast. Oh, 100%. But, Mike, well, we're sitting here <laughs> trying to figure out what the hell is going on in all the Metal Gear Solid games. Why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 113 of the GameCube was Cool podcast. Episode 113, Neil, the lucky number 113, is uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We, of course, just got the Cowabunga collection that came out. We didn't time it for that, but we're kind of close. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, really excited to talk about some of these games. Uh, t- uh, TMNT was a big part of both our lives uh, growing up, for sure. We watched the the cartoons, uh, some of the movies, played the games, loved Turtles in Time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, we're going to be really excited to talk about it. Yeah, TMNT are having like a bit of a resurgence this year. It's weird that they haven't spread out their games a little bit better with uh, Shredder's Revenge and that Cowabunga collection. I feel like those two games came out 
a month apart. Um, I feel like they might have cannibalized each other or definitely going to cause some confusion amongst parents. If uh, if kids are asking for these games for birthdays or Christmases, parents are going to be definitely confused. But yeah, really excited to talk about the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Big part of everybody's childhood if you were born in the 80s and later. Um, so it's going to be a ton of fun. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 112 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us a rating and a review so we can make the show better. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube is cool. All patrons get the show ad-free and a little early. Thank you so much to everyone over there. Check out our merch store on tpublic.com. Link to the store is in the episode description. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and join the weekly conversation on our Discord channel. Just search the GameCube is cool. Share us with your friends and family. Tell Solid Snake, Mike says hi. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. See you later. Bye-bye. For 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. GameCube. What about Liquid Snake? What about Liquid Snake? Mike, speaking of OnlyFans, I think if I were to become a porn star, <laughs> Solid Snake is the name to go with. That's a good name. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that that exists by now, though, right? Come on. Let's go Got to it. Google. <laughs> I'll Google that at work. <laughs>